We'll be live. Hello. <laughs> Wait, so you go like this. You go like, hello. So you go start like this and you go like this. Oh, I, no, have, a, I have a variation. I can Most go like this. These. These. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So Harris, Harris now starts every stream like the copies. You search every stream like this. It's adorable. <laughs> Wait, I need to. You need to move back a little bit. I. You keep going off screen. Yeah, there we go. I to but then I'm too far away to touch my computer in the notes. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. Um. Well, maybe we should just watch like this. So okay. Those. Yeah. Cool. Um. Forever Storm is here. Uh, Suha is here. Hi from India. Oh yes, guys. Tell us where you're watching from. Um. Hi from India. Hi from Germany. Um, oh, look at this. Zoom out a bit. Oh, Harris is here telling you to zoom out. We did, we did, we fixed it. Um, we, uh, guys, we're going to be covering the news on atheism and religion. Susanna and our team, and Dee and the rest of our team, they came up with 10 news items every week for us to cover. Oh, Sarah from Iraq. Amazing. India. Anish from India. From Australia, Harris from Australia. <laughs> okay. um, we picked 10 items. As you can see in the live chat, our audience is very international from all around the world. And our news is as international as our audience. Right. So, Susanna, what the 10 news items that we're covering today, what countries are we covering? We have two stories from Nigeria, a, a big story from Iran. What else do we have here? Qatar, the United States. Oh, we have some funny stories from the U.S. Um, a <laughs> hilarious story from Pakistan. I well, okay, I find it quite funny. Really, not as depressing, not as depressing as usual for Pakistan. Um, give us some good news from Pakistan so we could like celebrate. Pakistan. In a way, you in a way you could say it's good news. Good by news from Pakistan. Good, good. Okay. Yes, we need good news from Pakistan. I always get this. Uh, we want to try to highlight good things about Pakistan. So if you could find any good news from Pakistan, that would be great. We have, oh, wait, who are you highlighting? Athens. Anastasia from Athens. Wow. From UK, from Austria, from Philippines, and Bangladesh. Stay safe in Bangladesh. Um, okay, so Pakistani Defense Force is saying, why never report on good news from Pakistan? I don't know. Because from an atheist perspective, there is almost never good news from we Pakistan. We are trying. We are trying. Give us the excuse, Pakistan, to highlight good things from Pakistan. Yeah. Um, all right. So should we – can we – oh, no. I shouldn't even ask if we could clap um, no. for the first news. Yeah. Okay. So we can clap for the first news. Um, it's from Iran, and news coming out of Iran these days is a lot – it's not very good. So, you know, so – First news. First news. Islamic Republic's systematic essay of Iranian protesters exposed. So because YouTube hates sensitive words, I have to use a little bit of coded language, and it's going to be very difficult for this news story. But when I say essay or essayed, I'm talking about R-A-P-E. Okay? Um, so Why bear with me. Huh? Okay. 
Why is that the code? It stands for sexual. Oh, okay. Because YouTube also okay. doesn't like that word either. Okay, just say, just, just spell it. Just say R-A-P-E. I think okay, that's okay. a bit. So you don't have to explain it every time. Just say R-A-P-E every time. Yes. Okay. Um, Islamic Republic's systematic RAPE of Iranian protesters exposed. A new CNN special report reveals the shocking truth behind the Islamic Republic's brutal and repressive treatment of Iranian protesters amidst the growing uprising against the regime. The report particularly focused on the story of 20-year-old female protester Amrita Abbasi, corroborating for the first time the gruesome and horrific details of her treatment by regime authorities. And I don't normally give a trigger warning, but just heads up, this is legitimately really horrific. When the protests began, Amrita criticized the Iranian government through social media. But unlike other protesters inside Iran, she didn't do it anonymously, posting her criticism publicly on Instagram. Amrita went missing after her arrest in the city of Karaj on October 10th, appearing again on October 18th when authorities brought her to the Imam Ali hospital. Authorities released a statement asserting that Amrita was sent to the hospital due to digestive problems. But leaks gathered from medical staff at the hospital and verified by CNN say that Amrita was bleeding severely from her rectum as a result of brutal RAPE. Staff members say that her head had been shaved and she had appeared in such a bad condition that initially they thought she had cancer. Quote, when she first came in, the officers said that she was hemorrhaging from her rectum due to repeated RAPE. The plainclothes men insisted that the, that the doctor write it as RAPE prior to arrest. A staff member wrote in a message to CNN, quote, to make it short, they screwed up. They screwed up and they don't know how to put it back together again. Before Amrita's family could see her, officers whisked her out of the back entrance of the hospital, and they now claim that she is in Farzi's prison. The report also interviewed numerous other protesters who detailed a system of using RAPE as a weapon to, of torture against detainees, including children, as well as using it as a tool to create forced confessions. Yeah, and even if the, even if they don't do the RAPE, them sometimes they do it themselves. Sometimes they just put you next to prisoners that are famous for doing that to you, um, you know, as an intimidation tactic. So there are certain uh, female prisons in Iran where they mix political prisoners with other prisoners who are actual dangerous criminals, and a lot of these women. Um, Sex, sexually harass an RAPE other women, including children, including like female prisoners as young as 16 or, you know, 14, uh, 14. yeah. And they get, um, and, and the, the understanding is that this is where you're going to be and you're going to be RAPE by these other prisoners, uh, unless you give us forced confessions and we might actually if transfer you to another safer place. Uh, away from these dangerous criminals if you give us like if you tell us things that we want to and then they record you telling you <clears throat> things that are so obviously forced confessions and i don't even know <clears throat> why the government goes through i mean actually i do know the government goes through so much trouble coming up with forced confessions given that 
people know that these are forced confessions, but the the reason why they get these forced confessions is for the people who still support the regime. They require these narratives as a way to justify what they're doing to these prisoners. Yeah, Forever Stormy is saying this is sick. The regime is sick. Yeah, it's um, and they, you know, they do some. They do have um, among themselves religious justifications for it as well, because like you could use certain Quranic verses as a way to justify um, treating prisoners um, in such a way. So they do have their own weird justifications for it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think um, this was extremely important to cover because I actually mentioned the story of Amrita on the show a few weeks ago. But at the time I said, you know, this is what's being reported on social media, but we can't like 100% confirm this right now. But now we can. Now, now we can. can actually say that this has been corroborated by multiple sources, by multiple leaks from inside the hospital itself. The CNN has gone through how the authorities' narrative doesn't um, stand, so to speak. Like the, it, it doesn't, it, it it contradicts itself. And then also, they not only did they corroborate the story of Amrita but they interviewed numerous other Iranian women who escaped into Iraqi Kurdistan and their experiences of being sexually assaulted by authorities when they were detained. And oftentimes it's used as a, basically like a threat for, um, what was I going to say? Like, Oh, okay. So here's an example. They gave one story of these two sisters that were detained together. And basically they take one sister and they say, unless you want to watch your sister get RAPE'd, you're going to do what we yeah. say right now. So they use that as a direct threat. But what Armin was saying about how this happens to female prisoners, let's be completely clear. This happens to male prisoners as well. Yes. This happens to male children as well. Yeah. And... Um, I wanted to read. I mean, um, this happens often before they sent to prison. It was uh, Amrita, uh, this happened to her before she was delivered to prison, right? Like her case wasn't inside the prison. Her case was at the point of after the arrest, before delivery to prison. Is that correct? That part isn't entirely clear. Mm. She was arrested and then just disappeared and then the yes. next time anyone saw her was when she was at the hospital. And authorities right. so, said, say that this happened prior to arrest. Yes, yes, yes. So my guess is that this is at the time where you are not even... Had so as bad as these prisons are, okay, a lot, um, what I hear from activists on the ground in Iran is that you would want to be delivered to prison as fast as possible because the most the unsafest period of time is the time that you're held for what they call Bajri, for the integration, the inter integration, what is it? Interrogation. Inter I don't know why I can't say that word. Um, but th at that time, right? Um, which is, which is the time that they will commit the most violence um, p potentially because they want, that's when they, 
that's when you are at the hands of the besiege or the sepah hands and they don't want to deliver you to the prison because they would not be able to uh, interrogate you um oh i said interrogation oh they wouldn't be able to interrogate you at that uh, after they deliver to you to the prison in the way they want to because now you're in the system right they want to make sure that they have you they have you in their control um and they are intimidating you and so you become safer relatively like safe like the prison situation is still very unsafe but you become a lot safer once you are delivered to the prison so if i had to guess i don't have all the information uh but if i had to guess is that this happened to her not in prison uh, by the you know by the staff but by the forces inside the prison by by the officers at after her arrest right well, um also i've also in the period of time in which they can basically forcibly disappear you and that's what the yes. cnn report talks a lot about is most of the reports that they received regarding this were coming out of the rest predominantly kurdish regions of iran and what they'll do is they'll get you into one detention center and then they'll start transferring you in between this web of prisons all along the west western border yes. to help make it impossible for anyone to find you track you you know be in touch with your case help represent you or advocate for you you're just lost in the system at that point yes yes i've also heard reports from women in iran who are part of the protest or at the time of arrest or during the protest where the um with office with the armed forces or the regime forces they come and sodomize you or with the with the batons and when these women like scream and you know and respond um, negatively when they complain they they act like they're shocked they're like aren't you guys doing the revolution for this like isn't this what you guys want like you guys are all about sexual liberation and all that stuff and this is what i'm giving you so why are you guys even complaining about this like this your entire movement is about being naked and being sexually free so this is what I, you got you are like they call them you you whores you sluts this is what you want i'm just giving you what you're asking for i'm giving i'm just giving you what you're chanting for so that's the response huh? Susanna just can't take it Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean Oh god. Yeah, it's really it's really 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 horrific. There's one part from the um CNN report that I want to read. Um uh in one case CNN inter received the audio testimony of a 17-year-old boy who said that his friends he and his friends were RAPE'd and electrocuted in detention when they were arrested in the protests. Testimonies heard by CNN suggest that the, that the sexual assault of the underage boy was not an isolated incident. They brought four men over who had been beaten, screaming intensely in another cell. And one of the men who was tortured was sent to the waiting room where I was, the boy told CNN. I asked him what all that screaming was about. They said that they are RAPE'ing the men. The security guard overheard the conversation about the assault, the boy said, and after which he proceeded to torture him. The boy said that then he that he was then also RAPE. So just yeah, by just because of, it, yeah, yeah, just because just for talking about it, I'm like oh, you're spreading the news. Well, let's give you some of that, you know, treatment as well. 
This is super um, notorious in the men's prisons where they will take, yeah, like political protesters and put them with the hardened criminals. And then the hardened criminals will be incentivized to do this to the protesters because they're straight up thugs. And we know that the, the regime uses thugs to do their dirty work because it was exposed in the Abon Tribunal about how they used criminals to be agent provocateurs in the 2009 demonstrations, I mean, 2019 demonstrations. We know this. We know that they hire legit violent criminals to do their dirty work. Um, Part of the reason why they do this is because a lot of the protest movement have seemed to be uh, fearless when it comes to death, right? So given that it use it, it doesn't intimidating people with the fear of death it doesn't seem to be working on making people go home they're trying to use something that people especially this woman-led revolution and even and also to be fair men also fear more than death right so a lot of these people uh, fear this kind of treatment a lot more than they would fear being killed and that's why the regime is trying to use max when they want to use maximum pressure as a way. And they they like the regime doesn't try to do try to hide this, right? When you see this happening to these prisoners, um, you would think like, oh my god, uh, good thing this like good thing it was exposed or leaked. Well, the thing is that the leaking was done by the regime itself. Like the regime wants other people to know that this is what could happen to you. Because they are de they are desperate in using methods that will make the protesters actually fear the government, right? So that you know, but the thing is that protesters are still coming out even after all this information, because it actually angers them more, and they want to they they want to retaliate, right? Harris is saying, "I was just doing research on Armita Abbasi. This is shocking, Armin. Do you think Armita's Armita's case is going to fuel the protests even more?" Oh yeah, for sure, but. It's not just Armita. Like we have, we could spend hours just going through case after case after case for you that will make your blood boil, right? Like I have a huge folder of things that I could show you that is making people go angry, that is fueling every, fueling the protesters every day. Like Kian's story was like, 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 I don't know, like this, right? This lady. Mm -hmm. Oh, this lady, she she lost her eye. Do you know her name? I forgot her name because there's just so many names. I now, can't. Right? Give me a few seconds to Google it. I can find it. But she's only like 20 years old. Yeah, she lost her eye because she was trying to protect her mother. She was trying to block the shotgun. Uh, her she was standing in front of the shotgun. Um, I don't know what they're called. Uh, um, it's not bullets because they are like metal. Um, pellet guns. Pellet guns. Yes. She, the, you know, the, they use these pilot guns uh, and they aim at the face with the intention of blinding you, right? Because that's something also that causes a lot of fear, right? So she was one of the protesters, and when they used the pilot guns to aim at her mom, she basically went and she used herself as a shield to protect her mom. Was it her? I think it was her mom. Was it her dad or her mom? But it was her mom. And she just lost an eye, and she came at so... I didn't... I don't know if you have her messages after she got uh, she was blinded because even after losing an eye, she came out so defiant, and she said that this regime thinks that they could intimidate us 
by blinding me. <laughs> like, look at the there was another. Brainer. There was another fourteen-year-old boy because she only got yeah. one eye taken out. There was a fourteen-year-old boy who's been blinded yeah. in both eyes by pellet guns. Yes, and I saw this that. girl. If you give me a few minutes, I can continue to find her name. But she gave this story where she she was recounting what happened, and she talked about how she was getting in the way to try to defend her mother, and um, basically she she talks about how the last thing that her right eye ever saw was the smile of the man that pointed the pellet gun point blank at her face and fired upon her. Yes. Yes. There's so many things I can't show you because the video would get flagged if I did, but what is shocking in the brutality of the things that I can show you here is how eager and how are the, regime forces when it comes to hitting people or shooting at them and they they seem they seem to take so much joy in doing so like they come across as absolutely sadistic like i've shown some videos to susanna that i can't show here and it's just unbelievable it just seems like it it, it just seems like it's not they're not just following command it just seems like these are people who are that are desperate to show this level of violence upon people, which is, I, I don't know. Um, her name is Gazal. I can never pronounce it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, Gazal Ranjash. Um, and there's like videos of her online where basically she's like, her eye is just decimated. She has a cover on it and she's just covered in blood, but she's still like, you know, laying on the ground, putting up like the peace or victory sign. Like you're not going to deter us. Which is actually an interesting part of this CNN story because I was talking to Babak and he gives me, yeah, there we go, um, a very interesting perspective. And Armin, he said that in Iran there was actually a very negative reaction to this CNN investigative report because from their perspective, they basically believed that this was some sort of regime psyop to discourage them from protesting right yes they want like the regime itself wants this and this to get out uh so people are scared of coming out um because again there seem to be afraid people seem to be afraid of this kind of treatment more than death um i don't i don't know i don't know if i agree with that anger as because i think that, that type of anger encourages more people to come out than stay home. I don't know what effect this will have. But, I mean, it's a crime. You can't hide it. You cannot not expose a crime to as a way to encourage more people coming out. Like, crimes like this have to be exposed. I don't understand. I don't understand that criticism. Do you agree with that criticism? No, I mean, I don't. I, I can see their perspective because they're like, we don't, and actually in the report, the people who leaked the information about Armita's brutal treatment, the medical staff said specifically, they're quoted as saying, we're not saying this because we want to discourage everyone, but this is so horrific that people need to know what happened. Like, and I think it's important because I've heard the stories of what happened to Armita on social media for a few weeks now, but the details of what they did to her are so barbaric that it's almost unbelievable. 
they're so gruesome that it's almost yes. unbelievable. That's why it was so, exactly you're right. This is why it's right. so important for CNN to go in and confirm and corroborate all these details because then yes. you can take that to a Western audience or an outside audience and say, this is the true level of what's going on inside. Like, this isn't exaggeration. We've confirmed it. And this is really important because, like, I, I can understand how you could feel that way when you're on the inside. But this is this information getting outside and corroborated is absolutely critical in garnering international support. So if this was intended for an Iranian audience, I could see how people could perceive it that way. But it's not intended for an Iranian audience. This is intended for an international or more specifically American audience to basically give them verification of yes. these gruesome details we've been seeing. It's and that's, so that, I like, I cannot stress how important that is. It's so evil that many people would doubt that it's true. Like, it's just so evil that it just seems like somebody, people who just hate the Islamic Republic would just make that up. That's why it was, and even though, and that's why it wasn't being picked up, right? Like, we have saw stories of Nika being picked up and shared stories of Masa Amini, stories of Kian. So many stories of other protesters, but this story was so unbelievably evil that it wasn't being shared because people were like, uh, I don't know, really that evil? I don't think that happened. So that's why it, now it's getting a lot more attention because it's now been verified. I just want to show you the numbers also about the this is the numbers that we have up until November eighteenth, and we this have number more updated just recently, numbers now actually. Yeah, do you do? Do you have updated numbers? Because mm -hmm. it just jumped, it just jumped recently. Um, just like it, it, yesterday, the numbers jumped re by a huge margin because of what happened in uh, Zahedan. <clears throat> but up until November 18th, the re regime had killed 402 protesters and uh, 58 of them children. 58 of them children. So that's so insane. Right yeah. as of four days ago, Iran Human Rights, who is one of the most trustworthy trustworthy sources said that it's at least 416. And what is so shocking is that, and that's an absolute minimum, I want to remind people. In the last week alone, more than 72 people were killed. In the last week alone. Mm. And 56 of those were killed in Kurdish areas because the crackdown in the Kurdish areas has been so freaking severe, including the releasing of this green gas, which really freaked out a lot of allowed a lot of people talk about intergenerational trauma when Kurdish areas are being gassed with this weird substance that people don't really know what it is. And it gives people skin reactions and breathing problems there. Um, I can't remember the name of what it's called, but it has this really freaky green appearance that terrified people. Um, and obviously brought back memories of Saddam. Um, oh, there was something else I wanted to mention. Oh, okay. So when it comes to the story of Amrita, like what's really important is that now I can feel more confident in bringing more information from people that I talk to like personally. And they talk to me about how when they talk to their families back home, their families are like, Yes, when we talk to people who are being imprisoned right now, when they talk to our lawyers, they beg us 
to bring them abortion pills. They beg us to bring them birth control pills because of how frequently they're being RAP. Like that's the level of what's going on here. I want people to like really let that sink in. That that's the first thing that they ask for when they can finally get in touch with their families after they've been detained for days, weeks, who God knows how long. The desperation. And the other thing that's really noteworthy is that there has been, it's just like the state, the utter state of what's going on in the prisons right now, even outside of the systematic REP, is horrific. So there's been two reports that came out recently, kind of more generally about um, the prisons in, in uh, particularly Avin and also Karjak prison. And what's happening is that the prisons are so overpopulated that in the women's quarters, there are now viral bacterial and fungal infections because women just don't have what they need to clean themselves properly. And they are also essentially being systematically starved because they just don't have enough food. They don't give prisoners enough food. And if you want to get more food, you have to buy it from the commissary or the canteen. But then the commissary and canteen runs out of food so quickly because of how overpopulated everything is. People are being forced to stay in solitary um, confinement, except solitary confinement cells are now holding five to six people. The entire prisons just smell like sewage. People are getting maximum 20 minutes of sunlight a week if they're lucky. And as Armin said earlier, like protesters. No bed. No bed. In many prisons, they just have to have people sleeping in the corridors now. Mm. And um, they will also put, yeah, prisoners with actual violent criminals who will assault them. And women are actually they're sexually assaulted by female guards as part of their strip search. Yeah. Not like, giving you the, not giving you pro, uh, like soap and a toothbrush and everything um, until you confess is really dangerous for women. Like, I think like a lot of men have to understand that cleansing, uh, keeping yourself clean is a lot more of a issue when it comes to women prisons than, men's prison like you could really torture somebody mentally woman mentally especially if they're under period if you're not giving them um you know proper cleaning material um, it's not even just and, mental like it's also a legitimate health risk yeah yeah no i mean yeah that's what i'm saying the reason why it's a mental is because you know that you are about to get infected really sick, really sick and it's it's just spreading it's really disgusting and you know, there are certain people that were living completely normal lives and overnight their life just went from having normal lives to just being caught in the middle of the street just because they were in the middle of a protest. And now they're living in the most horrible, in the most horrible condi conditions that they ever imagined. And they're getting uh, prison sentences, uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years based on the judges like over just standing in the street and doing nothing just like being part of the protest or holding a sign and and they imagine just like living as like a 
uh, young, maybe 16, 20-year-old, 15-year-old girl with your family having a normal life, and now you're in a disgusting uh, prison, uh, sleeping in the corridor with no food unless you could pay for it, and it's sometimes hard to get money to prisoners so that they can buy pay. They, can, they don't even give you free blankets anymore, right? That's how things are getting, right? They don't and you're give you sharing... free toothbrushes. They don't give you free sanitary pads. They will basically make you yeah. give a forced confession to be able to give yeah. receive sanitary pads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to you need to do something to be able to get even a blanket. And you're sharing like a you're sharing a toilet with a hundred other people, um, and and you, you're like, oh my, this is hell. And you are told that this is your life for the next 10, 15, or twenty years. Imagine like trying to adjust mentally, trying to overcome the idea that this is my life for the next uh, few decades. It's, I don't know. I don't know how to explain the shock that some of these people are facing, but anyways, yeah. Um, um, Oxymoron is saying the state is scared. I do, yes, I do think the state is scared. The state is like, the state is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? The state doesn't wants to intimidate people, but it cannot also. It's trying to figure out because every time they kill somebody, that that person's death becomes a rallying cry, and more people show up, right? So they're trying not to. They want to. They don't know how to. They, that's why they're not just like shooting everybody with like real bullets right because they know the moment they do that that would be the end of the regime well the they are they shooting a lot of people with real bullets particularly over the last in, week we're seeing that more than we ever have in predominantly kurdish regions so yes, like in kurdistan and system yeah in kurdistan and system this is kind of this is an, an unfortunate situation which we have to be real with people okay i know this is horrible to hear but they use real bullets in Sistan, Baluchistan, and in Kurdistan, and they use um, what is it called, pelicans, um, in in central places like uh, Tehran or Shir or Fars or Esfahan, right? Uh, because they know if they, they if they use real bullets in Tehran, that would be the end of them. But unfortunately, there's we're, this is something that is being fixed right now in Iran because. A lot more Iranians feel united with each other, but there's still that degree of Kurdistani people or Baluchi, Kurdish people or Baluchi people mattering less than other Iranians. And we hope, like right now, the revolution is trying to encourage people to be as outraged as Kurdish people are dying or as Baluchi people are dying uh, than if somebody from Tehran would be dying. So, but the regime is like, that's why you see different treatment for different kind of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I think Susanna is frozen, but another thing I want to say is that th that's why also they're trying to figure out what kind of intimidation tactics they can use that is not death, uh, but it will uh, that will keep people off the streets. Um, the regime is trying so many different tactics and it's, it's not working, so we'll see. Well, but they are they're trying they're brainstorming, they're yeah, you know, yeah, I think okay. So we have, um, Armin, in the show oh. notes, there was um, some okay. stuff I wanted you to bring up. Um, 
the second one is about Tumaj, if you can bring that up. And then, so the we have one, one more bad news, and then we can go to good news. Okay. This one? Yes. So many people probably remember that we have talked about the case of Tumaj Salehi um, many times before. So Tumaj Salehi is a very prominent Iranian rapper who is famous for his regime and his songs being very, very critical of the regime and his activism against the regime. He's been arrested and detained before by the authorities. And for the past 40 days, no one has heard about his very little about his whereabouts ever since he was arrested for taking part in the protests. And his family reported at some point that um, they believe that he, the regime, the authorities broke one of his ankles while in detention as part of torture. And yesterday it was officially announced by his family that he has been charged with the crimes, quote unquote, of spreading corruption in the land and waging war against God. And these are both two vague Islamic charges that both carry the death sentence as punishment. And he was denied access to a lawyer of his choice. This quote-unquote trial happened behind closed doors. And yeah, I don't know. Tomaj really has been one of the most bravest people I've ever seen. Like he, he completely was aware. Like this is not something that he didn't know would happen. Like he was expe he expected for him to get arrested and killed. So when he like in his songs and his rap songs against the revolution and stuff and his messages for people, he prepared people for the day when he's not there anymore. Like this was he went in Iran against the regime, standing against them in the most aggressive way possible, uh, knowing that this is his this is his destiny, this is the outcome. And so he walked into the lions then, you know, um, directly knowing that, you know, the level of bravery is uh, unbelievable. Like, I can't even imagine how that's possible. He was on a different yeah. level. I mean, he would, yeah. you know, always wear a bullet around his neck in his songs like openly rap about regime officials and insiders having to find rat holes because he's coming after them, you know, to hide in and, um, yeah, no, the, yeah, his, his famous song is buy a rat hole, um, which is telling the regime for the regime officials and everybody supporting them that they all need to go find their own, their own private rat holes to hide in because the regime is about to fall and they're going to come for each every one of them. So this is how the level of aggression and you know that he was speaking while living in Iran while living under the regime. These are the songs that this man made. <clears throat> and he's not like he wasn't just somebody who makes rap songs against the regime. He was also constantly participating in the protests, you know, recording himself telling people that I'm here, come join me. Um, you know, we need you here. We need your support. Like, so he had like documented himself all the time with his face, telling, showing that he was participating in the protest, knowing that any day they will come for him and they came for him. And they, there was a, 
forced confession video uh, of somebody that looked like him, but is but we said that it's not like him, um, which makes uh, the, his family told them that this is not him. Like some they, they blindfolded somebody that looks like him, and he said like I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done this. Um, and people are like, this is his family are saying that's not him. His tattoo and his neck was different and everything. Um, so the family confirmed that this is not too much. Um, again, this is just what people are saying. But if if that's not, if that wasn't too much, a lot of people are worried for too much because that means that how much that he resisted torture. Like if they had to find somebody else that looks like him to make it look like he was giving you a forced confession. That means that he himself has gone under. People are saying that that means that he himself has gone, has resisted any forced confession, even under torture. So they're wondering how much torture he's been under. Uh, I do want to. He also explicitly told people that, like, when they come for me, I don't want people. He said, he said, I'm not worried for myself. I'm worried about the day that they come for me and that that day will discourage other people from rising up. That was his worry. That if I'm gone, people will be scared and they won't continue. So I'm telling you now, you have to continue. Yes. Yes. I saw so many followers of Too Much that when he got arrested, instead of coming out and crying um, and say, like, we have to remember what Too Much said, we don't have time to cry for Too Much. Uh, This is not a time for crying. Um, Tumaj was just like one person and we just have to pick up where he left off. Like we could cry later. That's what they're saying. They're like, stop, stop worrying about Tumaj. Tumaj is good. They were saying to, these are fans of Tumaj. Based on Tumaj words, they're like, forget Tumaj. Tumaj is gone. What are you doing now? These people are soldiers. I'm telling you, these people are unbelievable. These are (laughs) the bravery on these people. Um, so so we have we actually have two good news. The okay. I do want to highlight news, something after. Yeah, the you, good news is the first thing that I put in the show notes. Okay, okay. This one? Yes. So the good news is that the absolutely legendary freedom of expression activist and uh, writer, human rights activist, Hussein Ranagi has been released from prison after 62 days of hunger strike. Hussein was essentially kidnapped by authorities as he was on his way to go present himself to prosecuting authorities anyways. The videos of his kidnapping are crazy. And since then, they broke like both of his legs. He already had... Um, a failed kidney from the last time he was in prison and did a hunger strike. And then since then he, yeah, was being denied medical care for the entirety of his detention, um, vomiting blood, just, yeah, his kidneys were failing again. They were extremely concerned that he was basically dying like every single day. And, um, I, Armin, could you read the actual caption could you translate it for us, please? Yes. Uh, guys, don't don't ban anybody unless they're spamming. Uh, let me read the caption. It says, خانواده حسین رونقی با انتشار تصاویری از آزادی این زندانی سیاسی با قرار وسیقه خبر دادن. So it's like, like the family of uh, Hussein Ronaghi 
they released this picture announcing that they are the Hossein uh, Ronari has been freed with Vasire. Uh, I think what is it? What do you call the money that you put in when you free somebody? When you're allowed to go on bail and you've been bonded bail. out. Bail, yes, yes, yes. رونقی پس از آزادی مستقیما برای درمان به بیمارستان منتقل شد و برسته شد So right after he was freed he was uh, they took him to the hospital for to heal him for um, this guy right away is one of the bravest guys I've ever met I, I'm not going to go over the things that he has done um, he you know he basically dared the regime to come at him and kill him like he he was fully expecting everything he did was with the full expectation of all of this happening to him um his story is so long and so i i, I don't know if i could like saying like, that he's a legend is like yes. a disservice to yes. his legacy yeah because it's insane <laughs> Right. Um, but it just made me really happy to finally see him sitting next to his parents in these photos because his parents have been sitting outside of Avin prison every single day since his arrest for the past two months, demanding yeah. to hear information about their son to the point that his father. Oh, Susanna was cut again. Let me also, while Susanna comes back, let me also remind you guys. Um, I know like you guys already know all of this. But just to remind all of us uh, one more time that these people, like Jose Ronari, did nothing other than uh, speaking. You know what I mean? Like these people, these treatment, these uh, harsh prison sentences are for crimes such as recording yourself and talking about your opposition to the regime. Just talking about your views, just words. That's how, that's why these people are being treated like this. Uh, but you, you got your back, Susan. You want? I, I got cut out for a second. I was just going to say that his father even had a heart attack in this process yes. of waiting for his son every single day, and then he still went back at it, like sitting yes. next to his son, like right here in this photo. Like, yes, it's absolutely crazy. The support for Hussein is like of epic proportions. There was a, a few weeks ago a moment where people thought his life was in imminent danger. And that authorities were taken into the hospital to basically initiate his death. And people went to the hospital in Tehran in droves. Like the call went out and people across the city, hundreds of people, hundreds of cars immediately drove to the hospital, including extremely famous football players like Ali Dai were pictured driving there, showing up in person. To, to call on the authorities. Like, we're watching what you do to Hussein. Like, you hurt a hair on his head. We're coming for you. Um, the other very good news is that on November 24th, the United Nations Human Rights Council finally voted for a, the first time for a fact-finding and investigative mission Wait, 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 wait. That's what I wanted to say. This actually, so this is what you want to say as well. Let me highlight this, right? Soha, so Soha is saying, and the effing United United Nations is silent. F you United Nations, UN is effing useless. That's actually not true. The United Nations has done um something unique and very, very aggressive. They have United Nations has so, uh, done something that we didn't even imagine that United Nations would take such an aggressive stance against Iran right now. 
Um, this is the first time that you, uh, Iran has been taken to uh, to the uh, Human Rights Council for such a... Let me actually bring you up the news. You, you go ahead. I'll just put up the news on the screen while you talk about it. Go on. Well, yeah, like I was saying, it's it's in the first time they've been brought forward or initiating a fact-finding investigative mission against yeah. the human rights abuses in Iran. Um, but Armin, like people are very conflicted about this. Like, what do you think? A lot of people are like, okay, fine, this is good in some ways to see some kind of action, but like, how much is this really going to do? Like, they can't go inside Iran. Iranian authorities are not going to let UN officials in because they already don't. Like, what this good is, is this? What? How would you respond to that? Well, okay, first of all, um, United Nations doesn't have an army, right? So you can't ask United Nations to do some things like... You're like, oh, why Why the United Nations is not doing more? This is based on, if you understand how United Nations is structured, this is one of the most extreme things they could do, right? So the United Nations is limited by the things that they could do. But as far as the things that they could do, they did them, this is close to the max. So given how conservative United Nations is usually about taking actions like this, this is based on UN standards, this is an extreme measure, right? And the significance of this is not that the United Nations itself is going to be able to do something, but this will be used as a reference as the validity of, for the validity of the claims. And it sets new standards and new um, narratives around what's going on, right? And the investigation, when the United, because Iran is also a signatory to the whole uh, human rights um, agreements that the United Nations has, it is, if this, given that this investigation has now been approved by United Nations Council, that it has to be taken place, the Iranian regime is by agreement um, bound to allow the investigations to happen inside Iran. And they're not going to, okay, so Susanna, wait a second. Like, you don't even know what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that they're going to cooperate. Okay. I know it's just, know, it's just the, the, the thought yeah. of it alone, the mere suggestion had me like, oh, come on, sorry. No, but the, be just be patient. The fact that they're bound to uh, cooperate and not cooperating with that is already a red, another red line, and another um, narrative that we're going to have uh, when it comes to building up our arsenal, when it comes to international propaganda that we want to um, fight against that uh, that Iran, because Iran really, really cares about its soft power and its international reputation, right? So Iran being, having on record that Iran is not uh, cooperating with an investigation that it's supposed to be investigating puts them out of the fold of countries that are in line with what the you know, what, what is acceptable standards in, in the world, right? And you guys might think this is just a whole bunch of political jargon uh, and it's not actually going to have any influence on Iran, but that's not the case. Every time you see new new narratives being built on an international level based on, or based on institutions and organizations that are supposed to have validity and authority and some credibility, they're always used as a baseline of, you know, 
attack when it comes to soft power on a country. So this is going to have the reason why a lot of people are disappointed is because they expect like, oh, United Nations, what do you want them to just come in and just stop everything, which is like not how anything works. These things, uh, when you want to build your soft power arsenal against another country's propaganda, you start building the base, you start um, creating credible reports from credible institutions that have international credibility and you build these things piece by piece and eventually if you see the effects it, it's hurt it hurts it does hurt the country it does hurt the regime um so don't dismiss this as important this this has teeth this is not just an announcement that oh we're um this is like even by un standards this is high because this is not like oh we're just concerned uh, we are making recommend recommendations to the Iranian regime. This is actually putting up an investigative uh, body that is supposed to go and unearth uh, what's happening. This is, but th this is the most teeth you could get out of the UN, right? So, well, and a lot uh, of people the, are it's, like it's, hoping that this will serve to help bolster the historical record, so that when the regime falls we have a baseline of evidence that can be used to prosecute people and bring some justice about in an international criminal court. So there's that aspect of it as well. Um, is there any other news from Iran that you wanted to cover this week? I mean, I have a lot, but we, we spoke for one hour. Oh, can I just share? Uh, wait, hold on. Let me see. I want to share something. I just this is not the news, but I these there's a lot of songs coming out of Iran. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to share share this one. Uh, this lady, hold on, let me see. So she's saying, "I hate your religion. Curse be upon your customs." <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know this first part what this means, but like she's talking about your hearts made out of stone and just she repeats that. But like I just wanted to show you like this is like I hate your religion. I am I, I curse upon your customs. So this is like a lot of people associate the brutality of the regime with the brutality of Islam and the and the religion that is associated with the Islamic Republic. I saw uh, footage I of I saw footage of Keon's funeral being played, and then they put this song like over that footage. Yes, because Keon, who was uh, who was a child who was uh, killed by the regime, um, he he hated the Quran. And when but we're going to talk about that later, actually. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. But let me let me just play this whole because it was it was pretty. <laughs> Anyways, I just like this song. I just had to share it with you guys. Sorry. Uh, I don't know, it was just it's so aggressive singer. and so passionate. I just like the way she, she was expressing herself. Um, yeah. Let me close this. All right.
we can clap for the next news because it's yay silly and okay like low stakes Thank in you. comparison to what we just <laughs> talked about all right uh next news next news haram qatar bans beer at the world cup at the last minute Qatar, the host for the FIFA World Cup 2022, banned beer sales at the stadiums only two days before the opening game. The move completely backtracked on the deal the conservative Muslim country made to secure the soccer tournament. Islam forbids Muslims to drink alcohol as it is considered to be haram or forbidden. Islamic scholars and religious authorities usually cite the sayings of the Prophet and the adverse effects alcohol can have on one's body. Authorities declared that alcoholic products would be served only in the luxury hospitality areas of the arenas. The decision spread tension over how the event will play out. Budweiser, the tournament's official beer sponsor, <laughs> received a significant blow as the sales of alcohol is heavily restricted in the autocratic country. And it raised concern over how much control FIFA has over the tournament. Some soccer fans complained about the decision. After the news came in, Budweiser's official Twitter account posted, quote, well, this is awkward. <laughs> the post was deleted without explanation shortly after. Um, so I thought this is just kind of like silly. Um, Armin, what was this, your reaction to this? That, I, I was I was just away. I was just listening to you while I was away. I just started laughing out loud when when I when you said this is awkward. But didn't they this didn't they have a contract? Like yes. wouldn't wouldn't they get sued by Budweiser because now they have to pay for all the revenue that they were lost? I don't know if they'll get sued by Budweiser because Budweiser's contract is with FIFA. Not with Qatar itself. That's my understanding. So, but Qatar has been in negotiations with FIFA about the um, allowing alcohol at the World Cup literally up until September. They've been trying to nail this down in, in writing since September. That's how contentious this issue has been. When Qatar has been building these stadiums to prepare for this World Cup for what? Over a decade? Yeah. And like, so, and then, and then they reversed this decision two days before the kickoff game, which shows how contentious this issue is and how I think FIFA doesn't have as much control over this tournament as they would like people to think. Yeah. Okay. But, okay. So Budweiser had an agreement with FIFA um, and if FIFA could not guarantee then they misled Budweiser about how if they say like okay come here sell your uh, you know alcohol it was an understanding that there will be sales of alcohol in Qatar during World Cup so if if they misrepresented that I think there's still grounds for Budweiser to sue FIFA over like okay well you guys like lied to us I don't know Apparently, Budweiser was planning to sell beers at $14 a beer anyways. So, like, that's a huge ripoff. But... <laughs> I mean, um, well, it, it makes sense, though, in a country where it's so hard for you to get beer, mm -hmm. then beer would be a luxurious item. So it makes sense for you to sell it at a 
huge it was supposed to be available in the stadiums and now it's no longer available in the stadiums and alcohol is only available in basically <laughs> like people are offended <laughs> 14 usd for a beer f you no right no that's like that's egregious that is absolutely egregious like and it's budweiser beer too let's be clear it's a budweiser like 14 dollars for a budweiser is so insulting <laughs> um <laughs> and their deal is that they're the only beer that's sold <laughs> so it's like ridiculous but um what was i saying oh yeah so like it's not a complete ban on alcohol altogether it's like it's now only allowed in these basically specialty areas and like in some hotel bars that so basically the moral of the story is that this is not going to be available to the vast majority of ticket holders and fifa fought so hard on this for a long time because one this is a very good way for them to make money and two beer is such an important part of football culture like around the world um so yeah it's i don't know i just thought this was more symbolic than anything else like i don't care about the world cup at all if i did i wouldn't be watching because of qatar like and i don't i don't even like beer that much either so i don't even care about the particulars about this case but i think it's very revealing about this situation at the world cup in general um the other uh <laughs> the other this is, this is a little bit of a sidetrack but armin did you see that at the um world cup um some english guys showed up at the stadium dressed as crusaders yeah, what was up with that? That was like important. I, even I think, you know what? I am not for like telling people that this is importes, this is not PC, but that was importes. Was not I was like <laughs> showing up in the Middle East dressed as a crusader. I was like, people, no, oh people God. from people <laughs> from the insensitive. UK. People from the UK showing up in the Middle East dressed up as crusaders. Was that it's like on purpose? Yeah. Well, of course it's on purpose. What do you mean? What? How what else do you the... stumble into freaking Qatar dressed like you're from the Middle Ages? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me actually I just woke up and this was the only thing I had available. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> no, I mean, on purpose. Like, My other clothes well... were dirty. I only had chain <laughs> <laughs> no, but on purpose, I mean, were they trying to send like an intimidating message or something? Oh, here, here are the pictures. Like, because when I was looking, can't. When, I, when I was looking at their interviews, they were like, oh, yeah, we love it here. The Qatari people are nice. So, like, they don't seem to be anti They don't seem to be anti Qatari. So, why are they wearing. Crusade, like, what is it with these costumes? Like, wh why are they showing up like this? This is like, that makes no sense. <laughs> why? Explain, somebody. Are they trying to be intimidating? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Oh, here, like, Forever Stormy has an explanation, maybe, that I don't understand. I think it's I think not they're... like... Mm, I, I mean, eh, not really. Like, 
Besides saying it's classic British humor. Okay, in a way, it really is, though. Like, yeah, maybe. It's so maybe. inappropriate. It, like, because British humor can be very inappropriate and very dark as well. I actually love yeah. British humor. Like, this is very Rowan Atkinson. Um, <laughs> Sai is saying, I want to dress like the Mongols. <laughs> Oh my god. Mustafa say I don't recall British guys uh, doing this in uh, Brazil. Well, I mean the crusade point. didn't the crusade didn't make it to the Brazil to Brazil. So maybe that's Well exactly. So then what are you referencing <laughs> here? It's obviously the crusades. <laughs> but, hey, guys, remember the last time we were here? It was like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We're back. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my um, god. Oh here, Evan Cam is saying what you want to read this? He's saying crusader outfits are normal for English sporting events. I know that. Oh, but okay, also like makes... come on. Yeah, but maybe also... they weren't that's what that's what I meant by unintentionally. Like that's what I mean when I mean like they weren't trying to send the message like, oh yeah, like we're back to fuck you up or something like that. Maybe that's what they meant. That, that's what I meant about not I mean it would have to be a complete dunce to be like oh i'm sure <laughs> this is where i am geographically and this is how i'm going to dress and i have no knowledge about the relationship between the two what <laughs> people don't i mean you're not you shouldn't be that shocked your expectations are too high susan of people the reason the reason why i think these people were not meant to were trying weren't trying to be intimidating because i saw the interview of of that guy on t on youtube with that guy with the crusade outfit and he was so complimenting the Qataris and how nice they are and how amazing it is and they're like the guy was like oh not having alcohol here is no problem everything else is very nice so I was like, this guy doesn't seem like to be a dick. Like, doesn't like he's wearing a crusader outfit. So I was like, is this guy racist? Like, is this guy like a racist, like a right wing leaning person? I'm like, but he just seemed like a genuinely nice person. Like, he just seemed clueless about his outfit being kind of oh problematic. Oh my god, these comments are hilarious. <laughs> Professor on Twitch, by the way, guys, go follow us on Twitch. Is saying chainmail is very airy and good in heat. <laughs> and <laughs> Professor Armin is saying they flew got their airways first class to wage a crusade. <laughs> Uh, I love these comments. Yeah, that's good. Have you been following the other drama about the World Cup? Like, I know when it comes to Iran, like, it's become highly political. Yeah, we should cover that maybe next week. Oh, no, we have another Iran related news. Maybe we should, no, we should, yeah, no, we should highlight the drama between Iranian football with the whole protest. I think that's what we should cover next week. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. But what, what, yeah. what are you talking about? Well, like, Oh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. There's a, there's a, yeah. I mean, I can't even get into it all. But yeah. like how the I, highest a showing of regime support we've seen is when. Oh my God. Yes. Let's game. show that. Let's show this, this, uh, the regime. Okay, guys. Next week we have a FIFA news. We have an Iranian regime FIFA related news. I'm not going to spoil it. It's pretty. It's yeah. pretty ridiculous. It's really yeah. embarrassing for the regime. So, yeah. But it also put it into perspective for me about why it's so politicized in Iran and why people are interpreting yeah. the World Cup the way that they are. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. 
the the whole the whole football FIFA situation in in Iran right now has become very more like it's always political. Football always becomes political in Iran, but right now it's become this is on a different level, right? It's so okay. So yeah, as Ibn Qayyim says, um, the first game Iran had was with England, and England scored six. Iran scored two, and we had people in the streets of Iran cheering, cheering England. People showed up with UK flags. Um, because they were celebrating the regime, Iranians, because the the f- Iranian football team uh, was not taking the side of the protesters and was like um, not saying anything for the people, and even went to meet Raisi, and the, it was we could we'll cover this in more detail. But it got to the point where Iranian people, who soccer is a religion for them, and the religion in Iran is first soccer, second is Islam. The, you know, no, the this is religion, not a joke. This is like yes. not a joke. That's real. So people are very obsessive about the Iranian team winning, but it got to the point where Iranians were cheering the t- Iranian team losing, and they were celebrating the other side. Right? I don't and know if you when... understand like that's in- yes. the magnitude of that. That's actually huge. <laughs> yeah, we should cover that. We will show footage of that. And then when Iran won over uh, defeated Wales. We had, because not enough Iranians were showing up in the streets to celebrate Iranian team winning, the, the regime sent the police <laughs> and the armed forces to celebrate, to make the streets busy with celebrations. And the footage from that, oh my God, is just cringe-worthy footage, which I will show you next week. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyways. Um, okay. Can we... Can Wait, there was the a funny comment. Oh. There was one last comment I wanted to read. Shriyas is saying, does Budweiser take taste like piss? I've never touched beer, so I want to know. The answer is yes. Budweiser <laughs> is trash. As an American, <laughs> I can tell you Budweiser is trash, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, Go drink anything else. I actually miss- yet yeah, I'll just talk about beer. Makes me you're allowing beer. them to serve non-alcoholic beer. So the only thing worse than a Budweiser would be a non-alcoholic beer or Budweiser. <laughs> Wait, look, read this comment before we go to the next news. It's very nice. Aw, young atheist is saying, Atheist Republic is the best organization uh, that do something for the innocent people of Iran. You, Susanna, and Babak are legends. I hope one day your efforts will give us the result. Hashtag Iranian people's lives matter. Oh, I love this comment. Thank you, young atheist. Thank you. That's very. We sweet. have lots of love for all of our young atheists in Pakistan. You guys have a hard time over there, yeah. and I'm so glad that you're here and we can give you support of our community, so that you know that you're not alone, and you can mm. be yourself here. <laughs> that's very sweet. Um, okay, can we clap for the next news? Um. Oh, this is hilarious. Yes, <laughs> this is so silly. <laughs> next news. Next news. So this is a silly little story. Male pastor slut-shamed for sexy skinny jeans. (laughs) After wearing skinny jeans while preaching, a pastor from South Dakota, Reverend Adam Weber, was chastised by a congregation member for dressing, quote, too sexy on purpose. What? A letter in purple ink from an anonymous churchgoer of his congregation, Embrace Church. Quote, as head pastor, do you really think it's appropriate to wear skinny leg jeans to preach? 
Since when do men wear skinny jeans? Where is your common sense? This is an outrage. You are a representative of Christ. The congregants said in their letter, they also added, quote, this is mandatory being in ministry. This looks like you are trying on purpose to be sexy. And then in all caps, just disgusting for a pastor. Use some common sense. Dress like you should. You are not in middle school, but rather responsible for an entire church. <laughs> Weber told the New York Post that this sharp critique of his fashion initially hurt him. He also said he shared photos of the letter in hopes of reaching out to them, saying that he genuinely harbors no ill will towards the letter sender. So this is just hilarious to me, and I wanted to cover it because we need lighter news when we can get it. <laughs> Look at the all caps. Okay, so it keeps getting more aggressive. So at first, complete. Look at the devil. <laughs> Like completely offensive, <laughs> morally wrong. Wrong. But look at the underlines, like line, like so. This is an outrage. Underline, 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 underline. What is this? <laughs> morally wrong. Uh, no, no. What this? This part. Oh yeah. <laughs> Praise and worship team should also dress conservatively. <laughs> but the second page gets even more aggressive. So see, because these are mostly lowercase. But then the second page, everything on the second page is all caps. You are not in the in middle school all underlined. This is so funny. Get a clue also. <laughs> so, oh, my God. This is so beautiful. I don't <laughs> Wait, I want to see. I don't see any pictures of the guy in. Like, I want to see how bad it was. Do we have a... No, that's the wrong story. Yeah, yeah. Go up to the top. I don't see much of the skinny jean. Just a little bit. Oh, Here. wait. If you Is give it... me a second, I can actually pull up the skinny jean. I want to see how... Wait. The... I mean, I don't know if you guys are ready for this level of sex appeal. You know? Like, this is... I, I mean, are we prepared? Is this allowed on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Armin, while this? I pull this up... If you scroll down in the news story, we have a YouTube video of a compilation of um, pastors getting mad at skinny jeans. <laughs> Wait, no, go oh, to the really? beginning. It's so yeah, okay. funny. Wait, hold on, hold on. I need to. I love their southern yeah. accents, guys. If you're not from America and you don't know the glory of the southern accent, like you're about to find out. Okay, I have it. Okay. This is so funny. I am sick and tired of all these goons, and they promised them I'm watching tonight, and I couldn't give a flip less. The piano they, in the background kills all me. Our young men hate what we are and are running as fast as they can to this limp-wristed, emasculated, skinny jean-wearing... <laughs> Dirty type preaching. And let me just say this: we are we are really preaching today, where they have demasculinized the church. They took away our manhood. They want everybody to stand in the pulpit and act like little girls and act real effeminate. And, brother, I'm not interested in that. But it's a man that can get up and act like he's putting on a rock concert. Some stringy-haired, skinny, jean-wearing dude get up on the stage and lead everybody into a, a, a blazing rock 
song or something. Some man looks like a man. You guys with your skinny jeans. What is up with your skinny jeans, guys? Skinny jeans are invented by the homosexual crowd in the fashion industry. Look at me. So some guy, some guy Look that's a homosexual me. can scope you. He's going to be a worship hater. Better watch out for these little skinny jeans wearing. Uh, these little no neckties. Uh, these little guys that like to sing kumbaya. I'd rather stand up and listen to a man of God that can lead music that's got the touch of God on him like Brother Lloyd. Let me go ahead on my rant one more time about these rock and roll churches with wicked members lifting up unholy hands listening to Miss Jagger dress pastors with their little skinny tight jean breeches with their tight t-shirts with the breeches and their spiked hair I was preaching that out on skinny jeans can I just help you to understand you never have to worry about seeing brother curling in skinny jeans amen don't get a visual on that, praise God. <laughs> and then had a pair of blue jeans on so tight that, that you could put a quarter in the back pocket and leave his head to the table. <laughs> and skinny jeans, you ain't skinny. Don't be like the president of the Southern Baptist Convention who wears skinny jeans sissy britches to preach oh, his false gospel, but then wears a suit to the White House. And if men, you walk and you dress yourself modestly as Okay, I want to see your. I want to see what you have. Let's investigate the skinny jeans in question. Okay. Okay. Chat. Put a one in the chat. If this is just, if this is morally wrong and so sexy that you are taken away from the path of Christ. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, that's not. Oh. <laughs> Guys, is, I, I, what what is this making you feel? Are is this too much for you guys? Are you guys? I believe I have the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I I don't know if this is allowed on YouTube. To be honest, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh my god, that's too much. What? What is like seriously? What is the problem? They they think this is like feminine. Yeah. Okay, wait, hold on. Let me show you something. I mean, look at this slut. He's showing too much leg. Okay, look at this. Or is is it is it godly to see this this much thigh? Okay. <laughs> While preaching the word well, of Christ. <laughs> well, I mean, let People me show have, you. I think they have a problem with skinny jeans, also because um, you, I mean, depending on the rest of your outfit, you can see a lot of the junk a lot of times. Like, can be very tight in the crotchular area, and that might not be, you know, halal. And this pastor defended himself by saying that he only owns three pairs of pants, and they're all skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, let me let me show you what is traditionally been seen as masculine. Okay? Wait, no, this wait, 
Just, Shreya's just saying, my skinny jeans are torn from the raging boner he gives me. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Sexy. Um, but no, seriously, look at this. Tradition. This is your traditional values. This is what's considered to be masculine. Men show used to strong legs need to be was something to be highlighted as a way to show how masculine you are. And look at these high heels. This is these are right. These were signed quads. You got to show the quad. <laughs> no, no, by the way, guys, this is not a joke. These used to be symbols of masculinity. Like I'm not like making I'm not being ironic or like this is I'm being serious. These were symbols of masculinity at some point. Just to, just to, just for you guys to see how much uh, this is based on social agreements and culture and trends. Uh, a lot of people pretend that everything that we understand to be feminine or masculine is biological and inherent within our brains and we're born with it. But given but you can see that now anybody saying anything like this, you would consider that very feminine. But at some point, this was ultimate way of showing your masculinity. So you can see how much like I'm not denying that a lot of our a lot of what we consider to be masculine is biological, but a lot of it is also just social agreements and culture. Yeah. Oh, look at that sassy pose. Yeah. Oh, he's he's giving us a yeah, he's giving us a pose. This is look at how also, deliberate I love this comment at, from Mustafa. Yeah. This is a total self-report. She's clearly sexually repressed. The sexiest thing she's seen was the faces of Mount Rushmore. Mustafa, I completely agree. If you're this upset about seeing a man in skinny jeans, you need a release. <laughs> yeah, I do think like a lot of these people are feeling certain, you know, I, not all of them, but a lot of them might be feeling certain things that they're not comfortable feeling when they see these men showing up with skinny you know they just it's a self-report basically they're like yeah. i don't want yeah it also just makes me it does make me chuckle to see a male pastor getting slut shamed <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> you slut you dare stand on stage and preach the word of our lord and savior we're in that you whore <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? I can spend the next hour just listening to you make <laughs> talk like that. Okay, like you're <laughs> You whore? Is this the propaganda of the homosexuals? <laughs> can we just have a show where you just like do that? Can we have like a one hour show with you just making I do dramatic person? readings of pissed off Christians? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think that we, guys, wouldn't that be popular? I would like, I would watch the hell out of it. I would watch that multiple times. Um, you're right. We should try to integrate this kind of stuff more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Can we um, clap for the next news? Yeah, because this is like the best news we've gotten out of Pakistan in months. <laughs> oh, people are saying, yeah, I love it. Do it, do it, do this. <laughs> That could, be... <laughs> is, yeah. We don't even have to do it live. We could do it pre-recorded. All right. Can, you said we could clap. Oh, it's Pakistan. Yeah. Why not? This is ridiculous. 
Oh, wow. Amazing. It's kind of a good news. Um, we'll, we'll see. You guys decide if this is a good news or not. Uh, next news. Next news. Pakistani High Court rules that blasphemy law does not apply to dreams. So I sent Armin a, a, a quote from this article a few days ago with just the caption, the utter state of Pakistan. Okay, so let's get into this. <laughs> Recently, the Lahore High Court declared that individuals cannot be prosecuted under blasphemy law for what they see in their dreams or for sharing their thoughts, visions, and emotions with others during those times. Judge Justice Tariq Salim Sheikh declared that the first information report by the Sadar uh, police station of uh, Nianwali against the petitioner invalid. According to the complainant, the petitioners claimed that he could fly and see Allah and various companions of the Holy Prophet Muhammad in his dreams could hurt the religious feelings of the Muslim community. The council said that the petitioner is only accused of telling a group of people about his dreams where he saw God and some holy figures, and that such narration is not an offense under Section 295A of the Pakistani Penal Code, one of the aspects of the law that criminalizes blasphemy. So let me let me give the full context. So a few years in like 2021, there was a dude who was telling people that he had dreams in which he could see Allah and fly and that he could see some of the Sahaba, some of the companions of the prophet. And there was a man who was a retired police officer who then went and filed an FIR, which is a form of police report against this man. And the FIR didn't even like really give clear details about like what the, what he was saying. There were like some conflicting things with witnesses. And ultimately the complaint was that this guy going around and saying this is blasphemy. This is blasphemous and that this has the potential to offend the religious sentiments of Muslims. And <sighs> This is just this is just kind of funny to me because last week, I believe it was, we have Pakistani Defense Force here in the live chat. And at some point I referenced Pakistan having a blasphemy culture. And he responded very strongly to that. I mean, like, what the hell do you mean a blasphemy culture? What I mean by a blasphemy culture is that most countries in the world never have to have a court case to decide if your dreams are blasphemous. Most people never have to have this conversation. Most countries never have to make a legal decision about if talking about your weird ass dreams is a crime <laughs> because it offends the religion sentiments of Muslims. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the most way, before you even mentioned him, it was... To consider this. Yeah. Most countries never even think about prioritizing this. So this is the type of thing I'm referring to when I say that Pakistan has a blasphemy culture, that this is a priority that needs to be addressed. This is something that the law needs to have a ruling on. Are your dreams blasphemous? Can you be charged with a crime for telling people about some weird religious dream that you had? And 
yeah so that was the context of this whole thing i was like this is what we're dealing with pakistani defense force gets really triggered every time you speak about pakistan he tries to uh come up with something mean to say he he's really triggered by you and me when we talk about pakistan so um don't worry about his he he's so desperate in making it coming up with something to say like every time you have something factual uh that is true about pakistan and you say it just for uh, reporting the news that actually is true he he loses it and he's like how could i say something to trigger this person because i am so butthurt and i'm so upset and so sad and i instead of saying something look at look at this is a i want to read this right? comment He's yeah. saying, Zana, of, you sound like a clown. Blasphemy cases are very rare considering the population size. Even considering so the fact that Pakistan is an extremely populous country, even considering that, it empirically, it yeah. happens more commonly in Pakistan than the, any other else. country in the world. It's number one it in the world. significantly. It increased significantly over the past two years during the pandemic by multiples <laughs> like since the foundation of pakistan as a country there have been almost 100 cases of people being lynched for blasphemy per capita yeah. that is more than <laughs> any other like country. any other case of countries where this has been documented yeah the, so yes, the, I will consider even comparison to the, other crimes in Pakistan. But, and considering other crimes in Pakistan, this is still very rare. But in terms of a blasphemy case, this happens more than any other country. You cannot deny that fact. There are studies behind this. Um, there what 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 makes Pakistani Defense Forces comment very idiotic is that he compares the number of people that get accused of blasphemy compared to the population size right if this was your standard no country has a blasphemy problem okay like do you understand how moronic that is because i could do that with uh you know rape stats all right i could be like look at i could find a country that has the highest number of rape and be like well does it have an RAPE problem? Because if you look at the total number of people who have been rape and you divide that by the population, then that's a very insignificant number. So this country doesn't have an RAPE number. I could talk, I could tell you about the highest, the number one way um, of dying unnaturally that is a disaster in every country is car accidents, right? But I could act like that's a, not a big deal either because I could div divide the number of people who die from car accidents based on the total population of the country. Or like, oh, look, it's less than even 1% of the po entire population of the country. Why are you so concerned about something that is less than 1%? I, this is so moronic that I don't even understand why Pakistani Defense Force keeps acting like he's an intellectual, um, you know, somebody that has much value to add here when these are his takes and i keep trying to be go easy on him but his takes are so moronic that i can't i can't just stop myself um yeah. and also an example sufra yeah. bibi was lynched for blaspheming in a dream in yeah. a dream 
Yes. Um, also, okay. we have to. Go on. He's saying proportionally, Iran has more blasphemy cases than Pakistan. Is a comparison to Iran really helping your case? Oh my God. That's who you want to compare to? Iran. No. So actually, so with with Iran, you can actually find the proper numbers, right? Because a lot of the blasphemy cases in Iran are actually so. I don't. This is not in favor of Iran, okay? Because Iran does have way way higher death sentences than Pakistan. I agree that Iran is far behind when it comes to human rights than Pakistan, far behind. But it just doesn't get categorized under blasphemy charges because they are political in nature right when it comes to actually blasphemy uh, blasphemy cases so here's here's how iran is even when it comes to blasphemy uh, the number of blasphemy cases in pakistan are higher than iran but the number of blasphemy executions are higher in iran than pakistan because the number of blasphemy executions in in pakistan are zero right people are put on death row but the executions don't, don't actually take place, right? So, it, again, you have to be accurate about what you speak. Overall, human rights in Iran is worse. Overall, executions on blasphemy in Iran is higher, but blasphemy cases in Pakistan are higher than blasphemy cases in Iran. So you have to be mindful about how what you're uh, pointing out here and be careful in your language, right? But well, also, yeah, let's be clear, in Iran, the chances of you being lynched or murdered by a mob for blasphemy are infinitesimal in comparison to Pakistan. Like, you said, say it again. In Iran, you're not, it, it's very unlikely that you'll be lynched by a mob for this kind of thing versus Pakistan. Like, it's like, who's going to come after you, the government or the people? It's a different dynamic. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so the situation in Pakistan, the, the threat is mostly from the people, not from the government. Uh, look how low-level Pakistani, um, Pakistan Defense Forces uh, arguments are, right? This And this guy claims to be smart and intellectual, right? And this is his response. Susanna, stop trying to be a white savior of us Pakistani atheists. Um, I will tell you that Susanna is a lot better for Pakistan than you ever would be. Pakistani Defense Force. Because oh, Susanna, damn. No, Susanna, Susanna is better for Pakistan than you would ever be. You are a cost to Pakistan. You are somebody who is harming Pakistan because for Pakistan to be better, it has to acknowledge its weaknesses. Like, for example, you keep on coming and trying to act like, oh, Armin, you're saying bad things about Pakistan, but Iran this and this and this. And you think, like, I would be, like, defensive over iran and i'm like dude i would admit those problems with iran i will actually tell you more problems with iran you think like me as an iranian because i'm iranian i would try to hide iran's problems but i am not tribal like you are i don't i i'm not so emotional hold on i'm not so emotionally invested into a national identity and that's why the activism i do might actually be somewhat helpful to making Iran a little bit better, um, but your activism, the way you treat Pakistan, is harmful to Pakistan because you are somebody who denies the problems with Pakistan and tried to hide it under a rock. So yes, yeah, Susanna is a positive force for Pakistan, and you are a negative force for Pakistan. Go on, Susanna. Okay, I just thought that was funny because you're like, you think that you know talking about the problems with Iran is going to trigger me because 
inside, I was thinking, Shinoni Ron is actually my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, right. joke's on you. This is my strength. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just tapped into my greatest resource. <laughs> Uh, also, he, oh here's oxymoron, which is interesting. Like, finally, a, loo uh, a loophole to exploit. Do you think this would help, like, for some people to be like, hey, I was just talking about what I was saw in the dream. But the thing is that a lot of people are like, oh, the main, again, the main threat is not the court system in Pakistan. Okay. Um, you actually, if you come up with something that is seen as blasphemous in Pakistan, it, in many cases, you probably want to get arrested. You know, we have seen many cases where getting arrested by the government might have worked in your favor because people were after you to kill you. And prison was actually the safest place for you. So this is not like, oh, my, like, as much as I do wish we could spin this as good news, we're like, oh, people, they're going to go less strict on people. I'm wondering, like, you know, if people in Pakistan are offended by you expo like telling a dream, these people, like in Pakistan, if you mentioned that you had dreamt and you met Allah, um, you still have to be worried because people, this will offend a whole bunch of people. Um, was this guy like mentally ill or something that they shared this dream? Like, why would you share this it dream? It's entirely anyway? clear, but there was a slight reference to that in the court's decision where they basically said like, if this person is found to be mentally incompetent, like you can't hold this against them. So there was some sort of like vague implication that maybe he wasn't completely right. Um, in the, in the mind, so to speak. Um, but it wasn't like said in a way where it's like, Oh, this man is disturbed. Yeah. Um, so it's not entirely clear when it comes to that. Yeah. Anyways, we should move forward. Let's get this next news. Can we um, do? You, can we clap for the next news? Oh, hey, from Nigeria. Somebody's watching from Nigeria. Hello. Oh. Um. From Nigeria. Sure. This next news is like not bad. Yeah. All right. Next news. Next news. Sikhs sue U.S. Marines for religious freedom violations of uniform policy. On April 11th, four Sikhs sued the U.S. Marine Corps for refusing to allow their religious articles of faith. The U.S. Marine Corps Captain uh, Sukhbir Singh Tour and three recruits, Milap Singh uh, Chahal, Akash Singh, and uh, Jash Jashkirat Singh, filed for religious accommodations in 2021. Their status remains in limbo due to the quote-unquote uniformity rules of the Marine Corps. Sikhs can keep their beards and unshorn hair well under a turban while on duty. However, during combat deployments or recruit training, all articles of faith, which include the kesh, which is unshorn hair, the kanga, a wooden comb, kara, a metal bracelet, and uh, kachera, the kind of undershorts, and the kirpam, which is the ceremonial knife, known as the five Ks, are banned. The Sikh coalition accused the Marine Corps of stereotyping what Americans should look like. If the military, being the nation's largest employer, allows them to serve with their articles of faith, it would, quote, make it harder for employers everywhere to discriminate against our community. 
The Interfaith Alliance, Jewish Coalition for Religious Liberty, Muslim Public Affairs Council, and American uh, Islamic Congress, Women's Veterans and Families, and the Sikh American Veterans Alliance have all filed amicus briefs demonstrating their support for the Sikh recruits. So basically, the U.S. Marine Corps does allow Sikh uh, people in, in the Marines to have their articles of faith, except in two situations. When they are in their boot camps as recruits mm -hmm. and when they are on deployment, combat deployments. And what is considered, a, they can have it on duty, but not on combat deployment. And then what is considered a combat deployment can sometimes be a little bit like gray zone or diffuse, according to the articles that I've read. But why, why would no they be doing this? That seems reasonable. I mean, that seems reasonable. Wait, wait, am I wrong about what the U.S. Marines seems to be? Like, what do you expect? You need headgear. So, yeah, a lot of it comes from having headgear. And a, the other objection to the beard comes from an inability to have gas masks that will properly seal to the face. Um, yeah, but I'm on, the, I'm on the U.S. Marine side on this. Like, what, there's, like there's no... They just want. This seems like a case of requesting for religious privilege on something that is mandatory for everybody else, but we are like we have magic on our side, so therefore we should be exempt. That seems ridiculous. Obviously, so, the rules are very specifically because of safety issues. Like you need to be able to put the gas mask on. You should be able to put the helmet on. Like this is required from everybody. Why should you be the exception? It's. So the thing is that, as D is pointing out, that other arms of the military, including the army and the armed forces, do allow these religious accommodations in these situations. So other okay, the, the, areas the of the military allow it. And so they're saying, well, why aren't you guys allowing it in specific? And then they also, their argument also is that like Marines are allowed to, the wording of it was weird, but basically beards are allowed as medical exemptions already so it's like okay if you already allow a medical exemption for beards i have no idea what a medical exemption for a beard would be by the way but it's apparently a thing um if you allow it in that context you can allow it in this context if you allow women to have their hair in certain ways that are beyond what used to be the uniformity code why not this so these are some of the arguments in their favor so first of all, the Army and Air Force, when you say they allow it, that means they have one rule for everybody, but the Sikhs, what, a different kind of rule for the Sikhs? So the Army it's and Air Force, when they... Okay. Listen to my question. Hold on. Listen yeah. to my question, okay? So when mm -hmm. the Army and Air Force allow it, are you saying they allow it for everybody or just allow it for... They have religious exemptions? They allow everyone to have religious accommodations should they request it. The Sikhs have yeah. specific requests, okay, I got that and they allow I got that those requests. Okay, so the solution is not for the Marines to allow it as well. The solution is for the Army and Air Force for them to not have religious exemptions either. Obviously, if this is a rule for everybody, then it makes sense from a safety perspective 
And if it makes sense from a safety perspective for you to enforce it upon everybody, then you should force it upon the Sikhs as well. If it doesn't make sense from a safety perspective, then for, don't force it on anybody. But if it's a safety issue, then there shouldn't be religious exemptions. It makes sense to have medical exemptions because medically you're being unsafe. Also, if this is a medical issue and you're not, then you're being unsafe by 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 putting on the helmet or, or shaving the beard. I don't know how, but if there's a medical exemption, then the, your safety is being violated a different way. So medical exemptions make sense. But you can't say, I have a magic sky daddy that doesn't want me to put a helmet on and therefore I require an exemption. Like this is religious privilege. It's one thing to fight for religious freedom. It's another thing to fight for religious privilege. This is, you know, so like, oh, Army and Air Force do it as well. Well, they shouldn't. What the hell? I mean, this is, seems They argue that they found a way to navigate it effectively and that Sikhs in these other arms of the military have exceeded to meet the high standards of these branches okay. and departments. Then nobody... And, then, they're then, navigating it. So that if they can navigate it and they've approved it and they can still meet the high expectations of these institutions and they should be able to do it in this arm of the military. Okay. Yeah, it, armed forces Okay, well. if, you're saying, if you're saying that we can navigate it and we have um, exceeded expectations and we don't need the helmet, then... That's a case for not having a rule for every anybody. Do you know what I mean? So if you're saying that the helmet is not required, so the conclusion shouldn't be the Sikhs shouldn't be required to wear it. The conclusion should be nobody should be required to wear it. You either make an argument for nobody wearing it or for everybody wearing it. There is no good argument for only Sikhs not being not having to wear it. If you're like, it's not necessary, then why is it necessary for other people? You shouldn't be- They somehow found people. a solution to not wear helmets in a combat situation. That's actually insane. <laughs> I don't know. The, the point is not whether it's required or it's not required. The point is that if it's required, it's required for everybody. If it's not required, it shouldn't be required for anybody. There shouldn't be any privileges. That's the entire point. Yeah, other people argue that there are other countries that have had, like, I believe the UK has has utilized Sikh soldiers since World War One and World War Two, and like in their full articles of faith, they're like people have been navigating this for like a hundred years minimum, you know, in a okay. in a modern combat scenario. Like, then we have let the other soldiers. I'm not knowledgeable other... enough about yes deployment it's to be my... able to give more detailed responses you my know? point still stands my point still stands okay i'm not if you want to make allow the sikhs not to wear a helmet then other soldiers should be allowed as well whatever mm -hmm. arguments you want to make whatever non-faith-based arguments you want to make for sikhs not having to wear the uh, helmets it applies that argument should apply for everybody else um, yeah i think yeah. I'm so a little entitled. bit torn on the situation because I do think it is religious privilege. And the problem is, is that when it comes to the Sikh situation, like I was thinking about this today off the top of my head, I cannot think of another religion that requires as much accommodation to uniformity codes as Sikhism. Like, can you think of any other religion that requires this much accommodation? No. I, I couldn't, I, like, of major religions. I couldn't think I of want, 
I I demand a religion that requires you to have a dildo up your butt at all times, okay? And I want you to say that I need to have this up my butt while I'm serving my country. Thank you very much. <laughs> and oh needs to be yeah. Make your religion like that. See if we can make it happen. Just <laughs> where are you? <laughs> Oh, oh we have somebody God. from Panama. Hi, from Panama. That really took me. I never expected that to come out of your mouth. Holy crap. <laughs> People are agreeing with me. Look at this. People are saying, I'm with Armin on this. No, but seriously. Uh, I, no, this is a genuine question. Can you think of another religion that requires this much accommodation? The hijab comes close. But not as much as this. Close, but that's only one piece of clothing. That's not yeah. five different things. Yes, yes. The next, yeah. So Sikhs are not the main ones. I mean, like hijabi women don't require for you, them to being a weapon on airplanes. <laughs> like, True. Right? right? Like, so, yeah, this is. Yeah, or in schools. That's a big problem when, when in, in schools, in the school setting, when yeah. there are children with the coupon they're like yo you can't have a knife at school bro um yeah and someone in the live chat pointed out something in particular where actually like when Sikhs start to have the five k's that's actually like a different level of Sikhism like there are I forget what it's called, but it's almost like a form of a baptism or a second birth where you undertake this additional level of carrying these articles of the faith. Like it's a more serious conservative or um, deepened religious practice where it's not actually required for most Sikhs. It's just like for those that go and undertake this additional deeper level of commitment. So I think that's important to point out. Right. Because so I actually didn't know that until recently, I, I, until I was actually learning about Sikhism. I thought that this was full stop always required. It's not. No. So, yeah. So forever Storm is saying, U.S. military cannot carry the cross into battle. Why should Sikhs be any different? Yeah, exactly. Um, wait, why is the U.S. Marine banning a literal <laughs> knife which could be used as a weapon? <laughs> Captain well, Madari, you have a point. No I'm kidding. Yeah, um, yeah. The, I'm assuming the, the knife that I, I'm assuming the like modern day knives that you carry in battle are a lot more efficient. You know, like the entire most like when you look at people carry are not serious weapons at all. Most yeah, they're not serious weapons. But also, like when you look at an American like soldier, whether they're in the Air Force or Marines. The entire outfit and where everything is and the accessibility of it has been, and the weight of it has been measured to the and planned to this. Like, look at the soldier on your screen. Like, mm -hmm. do, you, do you understand the amount of brain power and meetings and scientific research? Millions and, and millions of dollars. And, and scenario, like, you know. Um, examine different scenarios like under observation so many different um, studies and observation has gone into every single detail of what you're seeing 
right? Everything has been weighed, tried to come up with the most efficient way to carry these things with the least amount of weight, accessibility to things. Practice All the practices that these soldiers go is with the understanding of where everything is around their armor. So if you want to carry a knife, the knife will have certain weights. It will be a certain place. I'm pretty sure an ancient... <laughs> you know, um, artifact would not fit into this modern <laughs> um, mm-hmm. gear at all. So there's that. Um, I think with this situation, I'm a little bit torn. We're like in, per- in principle, I agree with you, Armin, that, okay, then none of the branches should have this or that we should remove these requirements in general because that's consistent. But mm. and the other part of me is torn because if these other branches of the military have already established this, then I think that the, the, these recruits actually do have a good argument because they're not gonna they're not gonna backtrack on these things. The other branches of the military, yeah, yeah, are not they just. I, I, I'm not. So legally, I'm not I think about, they have a good case. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I'm not talking about things that will happen because pro- they could legally they probably would win this case. I'm just. I'm just here for the right to point out the hypocrisy of it. Like mm. me just pointing out the hypocrisy and the religious privilege is not, um, it does not mean that what I'm saying has any legal standing. Obviously, mm-hmm. if, it's a pre- if, if there's a precedent, they're going to be able to effectively use that as a way to win their case probably. But we're just here. It, it just helps us pro- provide another example about religious privilege and the hypocrisy that exists. I think... The- I'm also torn because the whole idea of uniformity is extremely important in the military and the armed forces. And some standards have changed in the modern days. Like they allow tattoos in ways that they didn't before and full sleeves and stuff like that. But if anyone knows anything about Marines training, particularly the Marines boot camp, it is entirely designed to break you as a man and be built back up in the image of a Marine. Now you can have your criticisms of that process, okay? But that's the fact of the matter. This is this is part of what it is. And that is to, in some ways, like when you hear people who have served, they're like, there is a process in some ways of taking away some part of your individuality to become what is needed to serve your country. Like, you have to have a shift in your mentality. It's required. This is how you make a warrior, you know? And, Mm. you know, we can have conversations about what that means in terms of thought reform and all these things. That's a sticky conversation. But this is how it goes. This is what happens. This, This is part of the process. To go through a grueling experience. These things are called hell week for a reason, you know? And it's also to it's it's also purposefully to try to dissolve the differences in between the recruits as much as possible to help make them a unit that went through these experiences together. And so when different people are getting exemptions that actually maximize the amount of difference they're seeing in between each other, like this is kind of some of the ideas behind this whole emphasis on uniformity, like just to give people context i'm not i've never served i'm no expert but this is my understanding of some of these things because other people might be like what's the big deal about it anyways um 
look at the uh, something I don't remember is saying RN US six mostly hardcore Khalistanis. Um, I would never make that assertion. I would make the decision about Canadian Sikhs. No, I'm kidding. Right, but not US. I thought that was Canada. I thought I thought US was Hindu, Canada was Sikh, and I don't know. Here, actually, Forever Stormy agrees with me. That's Canadian Sikhs. Armin's neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is my impression that it is more of a problem in Canada, but like that could be a stereotype, to be fair. Yeah. I did see a bunch it? of Palestinian protesters in front of the um, uh, Indian embassy when I was in San Francisco. That was fascinating. Because the, the Indian embassy, like I would walk by it all the time. And I'm like, oh, wait, India is right there. Like that's India, that's Indian territory right there. <laughs> and then there was like a huge Khalistani protest and I went running towards them. I was like, I got to see this. <laughs> Get my camera out. I got to take a picture of this. But then I got freaked out and I didn't say hi. <laughs> 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 but I went across the street and I was filming and I could see this lady inside the embassy wearing a sari, just like staring at these people screaming, <laughs> like looking down like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I read this coming. Trails is saying military uniforms is literally a provision of the Geneva Convention, whereby a soldier has to be clearly distinguishable from a civilian. Well, let's be clear: the Sikhs that are serving in different branches of the military, they still wear the uniform. They just have little details to it, like when they wear their turban. Their turban is in the fatigue of the rest of their uniform, or it matches the color of the rest of their uniform. So, it's still a uniform, just with their additional stuff um damn Susanna could become a recruiter i don't know about that i'm weak <laughs> no but your speech was very passionate you should like you should go do a recruiting video for the u.s army or the marines or something i don't know People. i think i just have a lot of respect for the well mostly men that go through that process because yeah not the women who goes I said mostly men because it is mostly men. Let's be clear. And they go through a different level of rigor also. So yeah, if you just Too listen to the stories about like what they went through and the strength of character it took and how it transformed their character, like listening to those stories has genuinely taught me a lot of lessons that has helped me in my life. Like stories of perseverance and breaking yourself to rebuild yourself back up again. It does like, get abusive sometimes, though. Like, I do think... 100%. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it, it also gets very racist, also. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're not completely endorsing everything that happens there, okay? No. People die there through the pro through the recruiting process. Just sort of oh, test yeah. The Especially for BUDS training for the SEALs. Yeah, that's not good. We don't endorse no. that. They okay. drown. Frequently. Yeah. Like, are you tough enough to stay alive while we drown you? Like, damn. Like this we're building characters by killing. Like, I don't know. I don't I feel like there is some elements of that what other people refer to as toxic masculinity sometimes, I think. Like, yeah, be so tough. We're gonna literally scar you for life and see if you could survive it. I'm like, okay, sure. I don't know. I think like I don't, I do agree that sometimes um, becoming uncomfortable builds char build character, right? 
stepping out of your comfort zone builds character. But be careful how far outside of your comfort zone you go. Going far enough out of your comfort zone for it to have a life, <laughs> lifelong damages to your physical and mental health is not the level of discomfort that you need for building character. <laughs> okay. Okay, but it you is the level of discomfort you need to be able to survive war and being in like a black ops site where no one knows where you are, where you're operating in the secret, no one that you're fighting for back home knows what you're doing and no one cares and you're still doing it and you're doing it by the skin of your teeth, you know? That's what's mm. required. It's not about you being comfortable. It's about can you survive the most deadly of circumstances with the highest precision possible. Mm. They don't care don't about you. Okay, then join, don't join the army. Don't join the army, guys. Don't join the army. Uh, if that's a requirement. Um, Aksimara is saying, I generally think women shouldn't be part of army if they don't prove uh, they aren't as good as those men. Yeah, of course. It should be merit-based. Um, I do agree with you, Aksimara. Uh, can we clap for the next news? Um, yeah. Okay, next news. Next news. BBC documentary reveals the story of Nigerian imprisoned for atheism. So this is really cool. BBC Africa recently released a new documentary titled The Cost of Being an Atheist, which showcases the landmark case of Mubarak Bala, the president of the Humanist Association of Nigeria. The documentary also reveals the threats to religious freedom in Nigeria and features interviews with numerous other atheists who face discrimination and even threats to their life. On April 20th, 28th, 2020, Mubarak was arrested at his home in Kaduna after he posted criticisms of the Prophet Muhammad on his Facebook page. In the documentary, BBC journalist uh, Yamisi Adegoke talks to Leo Igwe, the founding member of the Humanist Association of Nigeria, Mubarak's wife, Amina Ahmed, and even the lawyer who wrote the petition that prompted Bala's arrest. According to Bala's lawyer, James Ibori, he was denied healthcare access, kept in solitary confinement, and forced to worship the Islamic way. He was also detained for two years without any charges or trial. Initially, Bala maintained his innocence. However, on April 2nd, 2022, he pleaded guilty to 18 charges of blasphemy. The Hanokai High Court sentenced Bala to 24 years in prison. So, yeah, D was saying, I was thrilled to see this get attention. So this is really big. One, because we have been following the case of Mubarak Bala ever since he was first arrested and illegally detained for this incident where he made a Facebook post comparing the Prophet Muhammad and this other pastor or preacher basically to a terrorist and then that pissed off a bunch of people and it all unfolded right and then this year he was sentenced to 24 years in prison for this blasphemy and it's really awesome that this is finally getting widespread attention the bbc made a 30 minute documentary about him and i love that they named it specifically. The title of the documentary is The Cost of Being an Atheist. Because oftentimes when atheist prisoners are reported on, they are never properly identified as being persecuted for their atheism. Like in the case of Sohail Arabi, the 
Iranian atheist prisoner. When his mother was recently sent to prison for advocating for her son, even sources like Iran Wire, the headline was, oh, mother of Iranian blogger, you know, sent to prison, blah, blah, blah. Sohail Arabi is not just an Iranian blogger. <laughs> He's a blasphemer, an open and unrepentant atheist, and an anarchist. He's not just a blogger. He's being persecuted and he was sentenced to death for his blasphemy and atheism. So to see it being titled The Cost of Being an Atheist was so significant to me. Also, this documentary is really, really good. It's 30 minutes long. You can watch it on YouTube. And um, it goes not only into the case of Mubarak, but also into the greater issues in Nigeria in general. It talks about the contentions between the North and the South being Muslim and Christian. And um, it also profiles many other atheists and what they go through. Like they talk to a nurse who faced discrimination and problems at her job because it was required by the company policy that you have to pray before you start work and before you give someone an injection. And she refused to do so. And then they also talk to another atheist who they don't show his face, but he, when Mubarak Ball was arrested, he basically made a post saying like, hey, no one should be persecuted for their atheism. And because of simply saying that, that person then had to go into hiding because they accused him of blasphemy. And so they interviewed him, you know, completely obscured and everything. And then finally, they also go into depth in about uh, Mubarak's case and give so many details that I had never heard before. One, they go and interview the man that started the petition that prompted this whole problem against Mubarak for the first place. They interview the guy that basically set off this witch hunt against him. And when they talk to that guy, he, as they're talking to him, they're talking about, okay, so what did Mubarak say that was so, that bothered you so much, blah, blah, blah. Like, if it bothered you, you could have just blocked him. You don't have to look at it because this was posted on Facebook. And he's like, there are some things that people say that you cannot sleep. If, if someone says this about someone that we, the Prophet Muhammad, who we love more than our parents, more than our family, more than anything, we cannot sleep. We cannot take this in. And he was getting angry again. And he was saying, I'm uncomfortable right now because I'm so angry. Like, just even thinking about it two years later. And then... What's most important is that this documentary actually reveals for the first time why Mubarak was sentenced this way. Because when he was sentenced to 24 years for a Facebook post this past April, we were like, what happened? This came out of nowhere. Even according to Nigerian law, the sentence should have been only like two or three years. And he had already served two years in illegal detention. So part of his sentence should have been commuted. This documentary reveals what happened. So he, what happened was he went to court and there on Humanist International is reporting that Mubarak was pressured. Oh, wait, keep that comment up from D because I want to read it. Um, Humanist International reports that Mubarak was pressured behind the scenes regarding this. When they were going into the courtroom, and they were reading off the charges, 18 different charges against Mubarak. He stood up, 
unprompted by his lawyers, blindsiding his lawyers and saying, I plead guilty. And his lawyers like literally tried to like pull him down. They're like, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. We want, we, they didn't even get a chance to read their defense. And what happened was then the reason why he got 24 years was because he had 18 charges against him. He pled guilty to all charges. And what the judge decided to do was give him the maximum sentence for each of those charges individually and have the sentences run consecutively instead of concurrently. So saying, okay, you have to serve the time for this charge, then you serve the time for this charge, then you serve the time for this charge, da, 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 da. But the turn, what happened was Mubarak had been under the impression that if he pled guilty, he would only have to serve one year because he had already been in detention for two years illegally. Like I said earlier, commuting some of his sentence. But that's not what he got. Instead, he got 24 years of serving these sentences consecutively. So finally... That makes sense about how this all went down because when this news came out in April, everyone was so confused. 24 years, this came. What? That doesn't even make sense. How does it get that bad? That's how it happened. And so then when this, you know, shocking verdict comes out, then they go and they interview lawyers again and they interview Leo Igwe, who Armin and I have actually interviewed on this channel when Mubarak was first arrested. So you can go um, check out that interview we did. Um, it's one of my favorite interviews we've done. I love Leo. Um, and basically talking about how this sends such a terrible message to atheists in particular in Nigeria, but also just people in general. Because this this issue of blasphemy and free expression isn't something that only hurts atheists, you know? Like, this affects everyone. And to see the stakes being raised that high for someone who had as high of a profile as Mubarak, who was like the most prominent ex-Muslim in the country, then what does that say to your average person who isn't the head of an entire humanist association for the nation, you know? Someone who doesn't have all of the international connections that Mubarak had. So... I don't know. I would really encourage everyone to go watch the full documentary again. Just Google like BBC Africa, the cost of being an atheist. It got one thing I also really loved is it got a lot of views when I watched it. I can't remember what it was, but on YouTube and there were it encouraged me to see the comments filled with people saying this is crazy. This is unbelievable. Like, what if this happened to me? Like, I'm not a believer or I'm a believer, but I think this is insane. This is intolerable. Um. So I, that's one thing that I, I, I really did like to see was seeing people in real time in the comments, getting that awareness and also like having these conversations was really important. But um, yeah, let's watch the preview for the documentary here. I'm a critic of religion. People take it as an insult, but I don't see it as an insult or blasphemy. Mubarak Bala is an outspoken atheist from Kano, a conservative state in the northern part of Nigeria. He frequently shared his beliefs on social media and later became president of the Humanist Association of Nigeria. Mubarak's forthright criticism of Islam and religion in general caused outrage among conservatives in the country. And after Muslim lawyers in Kano complained to the police, 
he was arrested in April 2020. Millions of shreds, they're going to kill him, they're going to chop his body, they're going to cut off his head. Just reading all these posts make me unhappy. I honestly can't believe that BBC has a documentary with the with atheists in the title. I don't know if people understand how significant this is for our cause for protecting atheists worldwide. The amount of normalization, especially atheists within the context of a country like Nigeria, the amount of normalization of this word, the amount of uh, steps that we have made forward when it comes to uh, breaking taboos and destroying the sensitivity around being an atheist. This documentary is is unique when it comes to what is allowed and what people are comfortable with. People are, mainstream media has been very uncomfortable with this word atheist. And now BBC, the, one of the most mainstream of mainstream media has a documentary uh, you know, in defense of atheists and the struggle that they have to go through without hiding the whole the whole uh, activism that is criticizing, without you know, whitewashing it, trying to dismiss or belittle the anti-religious nature of it, or the criticism of religion part of it, or the atheist nature of it. This is this is amazing. This is such a huge problem because when Mubarak was first detained. I cannot tell you how many conversations I had with leaders of other atheist organizations because we were ripping our hair out trying to communicate with each other about how do, how do we tackle this? How do we help save him? How many leaders, representatives, spokesperson from other atheist and humanist organizations told me I had a journalist that was interested, but they dropped the story when they found out that he was an atheist. I had their interest because at first they thought he was persecuted because he was LGBT. When they found out that he's not part of the LGBT community and that he's wow. an atheist, they dropped the story. Wow, amazing. So yes, this, this is very significant. Um, I also thought it was one thing that was cool about the documentary was they interview his lawyer and his lawyer talks about how he's an atheist and how he takes up other cases for atheists. And he, he was like, when I take this case, I'm taking it for Mubarak, but I'm also taking it for atheists around the world. No. And I don't know. It was, that's very important because seeing people actually vocalize like an international identity when it comes to these things is something I'm very passionate about, obviously, because <laughs> that's like the spirit of our organization because not enough non-religious people have that spirit and have that orientation. Mm. You have two comments, Ayla. Oh, do I? Oh yeah, you read he is saying, um, it's good they include Leo Igwe, who is doing so much. Literally, Leo Igwe is one of my number one heroes. This man is a freaking <clears throat> legend. Also, I don't know. I wish I'd okay. I, I'm gonna ask permission to actually show it. But um, the head of our Atheist Republic uh, Cape Town consulate and YouTube channel that focuses on atheist African issues. So go check out that YouTube channel, guys. Um, Dean, he sent me a picture of him and Leo actually having lunch together recently, which was the cutest thing ever. I'm like, oh, my God, look at you guys. Um, and then Triash 
was saying that that documentary has had 131,000 views as of now. Thank you for going and finding that number because I couldn't remember. So I love to see that reach. It's so important. Nice. Um, all right. Can we clap for the... No. Oh, wow. No. D is saying... Oh, wait. That she actually spoke with Mubarak on Messenger just days before his arrest. My heart sank oh. when I heard. Yeah, I still remember where I was when I found out that Mubarak was arrested. <sighs> it's horrible. All right, so we can't clap for the next news. So, next news. Oh, Susie just froze. So, guys, guess what the next news is? It's something that we can't clap. No, I think it's, we shouldn't. Let me tell you the country, and you tell me. It's Nigeria again. Oh, Susie's back. Yes, I'm back. Sorry about that. No worries. All right, so we can't clap for this. It's back to Nigeria. They're like, we went from one Nigerian news to uh, another Nigerian news. Yes. All right, so next news. Next news. Alleged witches murdered by Boko Haram in Nigeria. On October, excuse me, on November 10th, a group of 14 women accused of using witchcraft were killed by the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram. According to uh, Takwe Line, a woman who escaped two weeks ago, roughly 40 women were held in a village near uh, Guoza town. Takwe Okay, Susie froze again. Okay, let's wait for Susie. I will just read some comments while we wait for Susie. And I think when she comes back, we have to read it from the top. Sorry about that. Uh, all right, do you want to read it from the top? Yeah, okay. Okay. Um. Okay, I'll start over. Alleged witches murdered by Boko Haram in Nigeria. On November 10th, a group of 14 women were accused of using witchcraft were killed by the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram. According to Takwe Line, a woman who escaped two weeks ago, roughly 40 women were held in a village near uh, Guoza town. Takwe said that the commander, Gilile, uh, ordered his men to detain the women from the houses where they practiced quote-unquote witchcraft. He accused the women of the sudden death of his children. Even though a clear description of how the crime was committed is yet to be revealed, the term used in the Hausa language for describing the deaths meant slitting their throats. Since Takwe's escape, 12 additional women have been killed. Security sources in Nigeria confirmed that they were aware of the circumstances and actively investigating. However, a thorough investigation was impossible as the village is located in a remote area. Hmm. What what is what is their what did they get out of this? I mean, what does someone get out of it is a that's a that's a difficult and loaded question. So I know in parts of Western Africa in general, there are there is a culture of um persecution of alleged witches that is across religions. This happens in Christian communities. This happens in Islamic communities. And it particularly affects certain vulnerable demographics. So um, usually widows 
widows are usually persecuted this way. Old women, um, elderly people, and orphans are, uh, or maybe bad children, unruly children, are most likely to be accused of witchcraft. And um, basically, it's kind of this belief that, like, if something bad happens, and this is like a you know very simplified version of things, right? Um, that. It, it's not that something bad just happened. It's that there was someone bad in the community that caused this to happen. And so the finger is pointed at a lot of these vulnerable communities. And yeah, Dia's right. Saying witch hunting is usually associated with Christianity. This surprised me. You do tend to see this more in areas that are more Christian. They have exorcisms that are actually, that are highly abusive and oftentimes very dangerous. And, um, Actually, the Nigerian activist we were talking about earlier, Leo Igwe, has a huge project and did part of his doctoral thesis on this practice. And they used to throw people into a river with crocodiles as a witch test. Um, but now all the crocodiles are extinct. But they subject people to witch tests, which are basically, you know, completely BS practices that are like, oh, which way does a stick fall or... Um, other, you know, other just things that are up to chance, right? Complete chance about whether, and then the way that someone interprets the way that maybe like dice or eggs were thrown, rocks, whatever, th that has your life on the line about if you're seen to be a witch or not. And then if you're a witch, I mean, the abuses that people go through, I don't even know if I can describe on YouTube, to be honest. Um, but th this happened with Boko Haram, which I thought was very interesting. So apparently there was a leader who had some children die very suddenly in the night, according to reports, or at least that was the motivation as to why, and then just accused all these women and went after them. But obviously, uh, religious practices are very diverse across regions. But generally, is witchcraft a belief in Islam, like in general? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were, when we were kids, we were told in school that Muhammad said that a witch, uh, what you're supposed to do with a witch or a wizard is one um, hit by a sword. Just right. one. What do you mean? You hit, so you strike them with a sword, and that one strike, if it kills them, then th that that's the punishment. But if they survive that one strike with a sword, then you have to let them heal. So oh. you hit you str you strike them with a sword, and you let if they heal they heal, um, if they die they die. But the punishment is one strike with a sword. Okay, but there is there a belief that people actually have access to these kinds of powers? Because oh yeah, because how, how I no, was no. raised in a Catholic household was like. Only God has these powers, but there are people who pretend to have powers and that is trickery and falsehood. And that's why that's wrong, but they don't actually have those powers. So that's like okay. a very, can you explain that difference in belief? Because that's what confuses me. No, no, no. They have no, the belief. First of all, Christianity does believe that other people have powers, both Christianity. I mean, Christianity. No, I said that's Islam. how I was raised. Okay. Okay. But so what you were raised with is not, traditional Christian belief, okay? Judaism, um, Islam, and Christianity believe that there are real wizards and witches, and they have magical powers, and usually the belief is that they got their magical powers 
through their association with jinns or demons, right? So they make deals with the devil or certain demons, and that's how they get their powers, right? And and the prophets, they get their power. Well, the prophets don't actually have any power. Uh, it's God's miracle. So when a prophet does miracles, it's basically channeling God's power. The prophet himself doesn't have any powers, right? And so like in Islam, we are told that one way for you to notice that somebody's powers are uh, something that is very telling about witches and wizards is that when they do prophecy, when they pretend to do prophecy, they actually don't have any knowledge about the future. They only, like demons, for example, will come and tell them things about your private life that only you know, so you're impressed by it because demons know certain things that is only known to you, right? And that's why these witches and wizards, they claim like, oh, look, I know these secrets about you and you're impressed and then they prophesy something for you, but only God has the knowledge of the future. So what these demons are telling you about your future is false information, right? Anyway, so there is a lot of these beliefs. Like, for example, in Iran, the law is that um, we have a law against witchcraft and wizardry in, in Iran on the books with the understanding that these things are real. That's, so, yeah. I mean, we know that's crazy. I mean, I know Khamenei talks about like demonic spirits. Oh, yeah. I mean, the West is an actual thing. So that's crazy. No, no, yeah, but, no, Khamenei, Khamenei has like some serious speech saying that the enemy, uh, Khamenei, officially announced that Iran's enemies are in cahoots with demons, okay? And he's not being metaphorical. Like, he thinks, like, Israel and the United States, they actually sit around the table, and there are demons sitting at these tables, okay? Actual living demons, not metaphor for anything else. And humans and demons are coming up with strategies against the foreign policy of the Iranian regime. This is our actual beliefs. One of the rings that Khamenei has on his fingers are specifically made for him to protect him, protect him against evil magic, right? And we have even in Islamic hadith, this is a belief both by Sunnis and Shias. Muhammad got sick one time uh, for by a curse by some people who were using demonic powers um, against them. So you know, even, even the prophet of God is not immune to, uh, you know, n- demonic magic by magicians and stuff like that. Does, yeah. How does this not challenge the concept of the oneness of God? That there are other sources that have these kinds of powers. It confuses me. No, because these sources are not divine. These are... Like there's no divinity. Magical powers does not necessarily divinity. Like deem. Okay, so Muslims believe in demons, but in jinn, well, they call it in jinns, right? Jinns in Islam are magical creatures. Just because something is magical, it doesn't mean that it's divine. So it doesn't challenge the oneness of God. There are many things that are magical. There's only Islam when you say tawhid. There's only one thing, supposedly one thing, which is actually a contradiction in Islam. There's supposed to be only one thing that is divine. This is what the Mutazilite said. Yeah. Is Allah all-powerful? 
Yes. Yes. And? So, like... But he... Allah is all-powerful and he makes magical... Like, and their magical powers. Reverse yeah, well, their magical... What? <laughs> No, Allah made, they say Allah made a whole bunch of magical creatures, including angels and demons, right? So these are magical creatures with magical powers. Some of them use some of these, and not in, in Islam, not all jinns are evil, right? Some of the jinns are kind of like humans. There are some of them that are good, some of them are bad. They could use their magical powers for good, or they could use their magical powers for evil. But humans are not supposed to use their magical powers of the demons of the gens. Anyways, it gets complicated. So you are... <laughs> I should stop asking questions. <laughs> right, right. The gens who use their magical powers to interfere in human affairs, they're not good. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, witches and wizards are people in Islam who who get in cahoots with the demon, with the gens or demons uh, to meddle in the people's lives and usually that's they say that doesn't have a good outcome. And I was, by the way, I was asking, what is in it for them? Because I usually look at whatever these radical groups do, or anybody else that does uh, in Islam or Christianity, I, I look for a political motive. Because a lot of atheists usually think that it, when, when there's some ridiculous beliefs by religious people, then the religious beliefs explains the entirety of why they're doing something, right? But it's mm -hmm. usually not that black and white. There's usually some political motive that is shield that is that has a religious excuse or covering or an explanation or narrative, right? But the motivation is usually something that goes beyond just the religious belief, right? So if I had to guess, for example, here I have no idea, but I'm just guessing, right? If I'm guessing, like, why would Boko Haram like? be insisted upon like finding these witches and killing them i would say it's a it's a it's a way of uh, signaling enforcing power in the region like they're looking for a crime to punish as a way to signal who's in charge around this region that's how i would say uh what's in if i say what's in it for them that would be what I, my guess would be so Pakistani Defense Forces, how do they prove if someone is a witch? They have, like, it's very bad. Like, if you look at the, the reasons why they come up with for someone is a witch, it's like, I, um, I don't know about these specific cases, but the cases that I've seen is based on rum rumors and such bad so-called evidence, such lame attempts. But they, at the end of the day, sometimes, like, there's a saying that people say they're looking for a neck for a rope, for the rope that they have, right? So it's not like there was somebody that they committed the crime and they're they're executing the punishment. It's that they wanted to punish somebody. They're just looking for an excuse for somebody to punish as a way to exert their authority. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. Like I, I totally agree. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, let's move on. Sorry, I talked too much. No, no. Um, um, we can clap for the next news because no one died. 
No one died. Oh my god, that's so great. And next news. Next news. Poll. Highly religious Americans are less concerned about global warming. A new report from the Pew Research Center found that people who are very religious are less likely than other American adults to worry about climate change. 57% of the respondents from the survey of over 10,000 Americans believe that climate change is a severe problem. So that means that most Americans believe that this is a problem. However, the more religious an American is, the less likely they are to see climate change as a serious issue and the more likely they are to identify as Republican. As a group, evangelicals are notorious for downplaying or denying climate change and its harmful effects. The survey discovered that 66% of evangelicals are more concerned about the possible impacts of environmental regulations on the economy and individual freedoms than other religious groups. But when politics is taken into consideration, a different picture emerges. 78% of evangelicals who lean Democrat perceive climate change as a serious issue can, compared to only 17% of Republican-leaning evangelicals. In contrast, religiously unaffiliated American adults are more likely to see climate change as a threat, with about 70% of the respondents say, claiming it as a serious problem. So that means the vast majority of religiously unaffiliated people see this as a problem. However, the study showed that only 34% of the religious nuns who lean towards the Republican Party are less likely to be concerned. Uh, although many factors influence American adults' perception of climate change, the survey conducted from April 11th to 17th concludes that the main driver of U.S. public opinion about climate change is political party, not religion. Okay, why why do you think that is? How's what is being religious got to do with not being concerned about global warming? So the poll also looked at many other factors. So one thing that it looked at is like how often is climate change talked about in your congregation? And they found that it is talked about a tiny fraction of the time. Like, does your church use recycling? A, a minority does. Like, does your church ever talk about the environment at all? A tiny minority does. So it's something that's not often even discussed. And so it's not on people's radar and not seen as a community concern because for many people, I've, church and I their congregation are their primary uh, spot of finding community and also hearing about what is happening in the community and what concerns are reflected in the community, which then becomes a priority for them themselves. I think it's worse than that. I don't think it's just not, it's beyond them just showing lack of care. I do think like a lot of these churches actually advocate against taking this seriously. Like try to, they try to portray it as a conspiracy, as not mm -hmm. that big of a deal. But why? What but is the relationship? Or that God will just take care of it. Or God will take care of it, or if it's or, or and some of them, so, hold on, some of them even like uh, treat it as a good thing. That's <laughs> what I was them. about to say. Some of them even encourage it, like they would like to see the end of the world. So that's when Jesus comes in. You get to see like, oh, oh, the world is ending. Hopefully, it happens before I de I'm dead because I want to see Jesus. Like, so yeah, there's that. Yeah, basically that's what I was getting into was that so in some cases it's even as, as as extreme as being like, oh, well, yeah, this is part of the end times. 
Like God talked about this. We knew about this. We know that this is supposed to happen, but we're part of God's flock. So we will be taken care of. So we don't need to be so concerned. I wish there's also like weird aspects of dominionism, which is, you know, can be a huge influence in many Protestant congregations. So that's a big part of things as well. But I was raised Catholic, so I don't really know that much about a dominionist point of view. But it, from my point of view, I'm like, this is this is a little freaky. Yeah, I mean, these studies are obviously don't show causation. They just show, like, I mean, they actually they do show the causation as well, but they don't show the details of why it causes it, right? I do hope, like, given now that we see such high um, correlation between religiosity and, you know, climate change denial, there's more studies to show how this happens. You know, how does religion cause people to be uh, climate change deniers and all that stuff? Because this is a serious issue. Um, And the more we understand how people come up with the beliefs that they have, the more we're going to be able to tackle it. But this is, guys, this is another reason why atheist activism matters, right? It Religion... It's not just bad for mental health and local politics and international politics. It's, it, it is responsible for also killing the planet, right? Like these are a big chunk of Americans who if they voted in favor of make, taking more actions to save the planet, the whole world, like you, you should be angry anywhere you live, right? If you're living in Pakistan or India or Bangladesh or Philippines, you have to understand that Americans, America as a country doing less for global warming has a more significant effect on your lives. Every single one of you watching, this is harming you. So the religiosity of Americans is making the world's largest uh, superpower, the world's most powerful country doing less to tackle something that is threatening every single one of you who's watching and your children, and especially your children's children, right? So this is what religiosity is doing to your lives. And this is why atheist activism matters. Yeah, but Armin, how would you, the study is finding that it's more of political affiliation that's driving these attitudes than religious affiliation. Because if the yeah. evangelical that they polled is religious, they are 78% likely to, excuse me, if the evangelical is a Democrat, if they lean Democrat, then there are 78% of them will say that is a serious concern. If an, if a non-religious person is leaning towards Republican, then 34% of them are going to say, oh, it's not a concern versus the 70% that said it is a concern overall. Right. So there's, there's, based on the numbers you gave me, there's a correlation with religiosity and with political affiliation, but there's a stronger relationship with political affiliation, right? Mm-hmm. So even without political affiliation, if you strip that out, there's still a correlation with religiosity. But obviously... Being a Republican is a better indication that you are you're going to be a climate change denier more than you being a Christian. So being a Christian will give an indication that you might be more leaning towards climate change denial. But being a Republican is a stronger indication. It's stronger. Yeah. There's a so yeah. I mean, being being um, being Republican is as insane maybe even more insane than being Christian. So I don't, I agree with that. Um, 
yeah, so the, I, I'm not denying the, the, the fact that this is a handicap to be also a Republican, you know, <laughs> just because we're, just because we're anti-religion doesn't mean that we deny other, other disorders, other political disorders, such as Republicanism. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God, you crack me up. No, no, but um, the problem also is with republicanism is taking. Um, it, so here's here's also even though republicanism is its own poison separate from religion, republicanism requires religion. So you have many. Oh, and has for decades. Yes. So re we have republicans who are not religious, right? But republicanism as an ideology depends on Christianity. So Undeniable. even if it, yeah, so without Christianity, republicanism would crumble, right? So if republicanism is also hurting the planet as a whole, republicanism requires Christianity for it to survive. And you can still blame Christianity for the, for the cancer that is republicanism. <laughs> Do you say political disorders? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> he suffered from a very severe political disorder. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We let's go to our last news, right? We're doing our last news. Uh, we don't have a source for this because you, I mean, uh, that we pull up online because you have a video that you wanted to show. Yes, yes, let me get This is that. what you sent me on Messenger. Just to refresh I, your memory. Yeah, I have to uh, give a little bit of a background to everybody. Again, mm -hmm. well, okay, let, let me really quickly go through with the background. Okay, so I don't, for people who watched us before, this is Kian. Kian wanted to be a robotic engineer. You can see here. He's very, he's very uh, technologically savvy and very was very interested into building stuff. Okay, and he <laughs> um, look at here's another video of him building something. So this so this is Kian. He's like showing he, he, this device that he built, and he's now testing it for a camera to see if it works. Right? He's saying I made this for a competition. Oh, and he started the video by saying, in the name of the God of the Rainbow. Um, and now a lot of people uh, use that phrase to, you know, as a way to say F you to the government. Okay. But let me, let, let me tell you. So this is a device that he built. And so he's testing it and he sees that it works. Like you're saying to the camera, as you can see, it works. So... So, uh, so Kian was shot by the government and killed multiple times, right? Um, he was in his car with his parents, and the car was in the, caught in the middle of the protest. And for some reason, the government um, armed forces thought that it had something to do with the protesters, and they started shooting at the gun. And his mom told him to go hide under the seat. And he said, the mom said, like, he was too chubby to fit under the seat, and that's why he got shot. And died there, and the mom refused to because 
refused to give the body, take the body to the hospital because the government uh, officials, they kidnapped the bodies of the protesters they kill and they use it as a negotiating tool with the parents. They want the parents this is to say a literal government of child killers and literal body snatchers. Yes. Um, so that's why the mom, knowing this, refused. As soon as the boy died in the car, she took the body right to, to home uh, instead of giving it to the armed forces. And she put uh, Kian, uh, she covered him with ice. And there's a picture of him that I can show. The body is right in the middle of the river of Kian with the bullets in his body, right in the middle of the living room with ice around his body, uh, just to, to preserve the body so that they could bury the body themselves so the government can't use it as a, a tool for um, to get them to say, because they're supposed to come and say our, our kid was not in the middle of the protest. It was shot by, I don't know, ISIS terrorists or so, the protesters themselves. Or it's like, yeah, they come up with different stories um, or maybe died in an accident or something. Like they want to force the parents, but that's why the mother didn't do that, right? So, oh, so this is the, that's why the people are, this is the picture they have of Kian, the rainbow, because he said, um, in the name of the God of the rainbow and the ice around it because of the mother covering the uh, body with ice, right? And, you know, the little you device that you saw. Door to, door to ask right. her neighbors for enough ice to preserve her child's body so the yeah. government wouldn't steal it. You can it's see more people are... More people are using his device in the protest. Uh, to this, this device, a lot of people are making it now and has become a symbol of the opposition. You can see, I showed you this last week as well, this device. Oh, and this video, I always... So it's just showing like the device just flying into heaven. Um, so the reason, oh, here's another video of somebody using it in the protest. In the, the protest, and a lot of kids are now uh, using this device. Oh, also, I didn't show you this, Susanna. Oh, these are you saw this one. These are Kian's friends at his burial. Yeah. Right, with black balloon. But this is what I wanted to show you in Sistan Baluchistan. Kids are like holding paintings of rainbows with the hashtag in the name of the god of the rainbows, right? But um, oh, look at this! People are people are hanging um, posters in Iran of Kian saying "Hukumat Kudakush" means the a child killing government, right? Oh, I th wait. Uh, yeah. Oh, never mind. I misunderstood the translation. Yeah. Um, wait, I want to show you the crowd. So this is the crowd that showed up to Kian's funeral, right? And people... So people are chanting at Kian's funeral, all these people showed up saying death to Khamenei, right? At Kian's funeral. But you can see the crowd. The crowd was huge. The crowd was massive. Right? I mean, it's as far as uh, the eye can see. They go into the horizon. It's crazy. Yeah. So, but there's a, the reason why I wanted to show you this today, which is relevant, maybe, oh, I, this is another one. 
but there one thing I wanted to show you guys, which is a bit controversial. And, and uh, just to be clear, I don't agree with the entirety of the sentiment here. Okay, uh, there's this is a kind of a complicated uh, statement. Okay, I just want you to see the reason why I give you all that context is because at the at Kian's funeral, the mom gave a testimony of everything that happened that led to Kian's death, but she also shared a, a whole bunch of other things about Kian himself. Right. And I just wanted to highlight this part of it because not because I agree with the entirety of it, because I agree, I like certain parts of it, but I don't like certain other parts of it. But I just want you to see the, the state at which a lot of Iranians are at this point, because a lot of people have this understanding that Iran is a Islamic country with Islamic people. Right. And it's true a lot about a lot of people in Iran. Okay. But there's a different side to this as well. So just keep that in mind. While I And this is, at again, at Kian's funeral, the mom is giving a speech to that, to that large crowd that you saw, and this is what Kian is saying, right? So it says, the mother of Kian uh, at his funeral, right? So it's saying, I want, I want to ask you, please don't play the Quran for my child at all. Please don't play the Quran. <laughs> my child hated the Quran. Okay? But listen to what happens when the mom at this funeral to that mass crowd, a lot of them were wearing the hijab, by the way, right? You saw a lot of the women there were wearing hijab. But when the mom says, my, my child hated the Quran, listen to the reaction of the crowd. <laughs> The crowd goes wild. The crowd applauds the line by the mother saying, my my child hated the Quran. One more time for everybody. everybody. Look at the reaction. Okay. And I, guys, the translation is accurate. I speak this language. This is Persian. Okay. So like, don't play the Quran for my child. So she's like, okay, so this was, I like this part. It takes a dark turn at the end, okay? So just excuse the dark turn at the end, okay? But so far, so good, right? So she says, because said my child was nine years old. So again, the regime killed a nine-year-old nine boy, right? says, because of the Quran, hold on. So there was a verse that she's reciting in Arabic that he was supposed to rem rem um, recite for school, right? So this, so she says that, so, so the translation is not very good here, okay? So she's reciting the Arabic part, and she says this verse in the Quran, she wasn't, he wasn't remembering it, like he was, like, so the mom is, like, practicing with the child, preparing him for schoolwork, and he's, he's supposed to remember this verse, right? So he wasn't remembering him, so she hit him, so the mother hit him, because she wasn't remembering it proper, he wasn't remembering it. <laughs> So it says, I hit him because of the verse of the Quran. So this translation is not good here. He said, she's saying because he wasn't 
remembering the verse, I hit him that he had it. Oh, yes. Uh, it's actually, she says it after that he had it memorized. <laughs> he stared at me, cried, and said, Mom, but I'm not an Arab. Okay. So the crowd cheers again. Um, so I don't like this. I, I kind of like the first part when people cheered him hating the Quran. I don't like the second part, okay? Because it comes, I mean, it's a bit racist. I mean, it is, it's not a bit, it's racist, right? So Kian uh, saying I'm not Arab is getting a cheer from the crowd, okay? Because Okay, but to be fair, as a child, I would think of it from the perspective of like, this isn't my language. I'm not, I, I don't speak Arabic. So it's difficult for me to memorize something in a different language. True. But it comes across as racist, okay? Especially yes. because the crowd, the crowd cheers. That I am again. I'm not criticizing Kian or the mother at all, okay? At all, okay? This is completely understandable, um, especially a nine-year-old boy, right? I mean, I had that thought when I was in Iran. I was like, when we had to learn the Quran, I was like, guys, we're like, we were frustrated with the fact that learning Arabic will never have anything help us in our career ever. Like this, we were learning Arabic because of religion. So we were always frustrated with the idea of why are we learning Arabic, okay? Oh, I know. But People complain about it all the time. Yes, yes. So, however, I've the reason, again, no disrespect to Kian's mother at all, okay? But cheering that second part is problematic because Iranian Arabs... Are what are are part of this protest, right? I, Iran is mostly not Arab, but Iranian Arabs are united with other Iranians against this regime. Okay, and they are one some of the people who have been paying a heavy most. price for their opposition, right? So. Iranian other Iranian people cheering not being Arab is. Again, I don't want to be nitpicky here because this is this is I just want to point out that if you are an Iranian Arab, I just want you to know that you are valued, you are part of you are a citizen of Iran as much as every other Iranian, okay? And no there's you you being an Arab should never be used as a way to make you feel like you're a second class citizen, okay? But yeah. I don't think I don't think this was meant to come across that way. I think like Susanna is right. I think like this is an understanding of like this is not my language, right? Why is this being forced upon me? Why do I have to learn this? So this is not an anti-Arab position. And I I hope it doesn't come across like that to any Arab Iranians who are watching this. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're yeah. just very sensitive about this because you've been fighting against anti like Arab racism, like way before you were even an atheist activist, like before you were an atheist activist, like you were doing work against Aryan supremacy, essentially, because you're like so familiar with how ethnic minorities in Iran, like are just, they're treated like they're mentally disabled <laughs> by a lot of farce people. So I think just coming, you're very sensitive about this kind of thing because you're so familiar with how bad these attitudes can get. And I think that's really appreciated by a lot of people because oftentimes like the reality of those 
racist attitudes might not be acknowledged that much by a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Well, let me actually finish the clip. I want to address something in the live chat as well. But yes, true. Like, I, like, no, see, actually, I was right. I was right about the problematic nature of the statement because she, they, because she said, like, I am not Arab. I'm Iranian. That is problematic. Okay. Because you can be Arab and Iranian at the same time. Again, Kian is nine years old. Nobody should be criticizing for what he's saying. Okay. But I think the first part should have been the only part that should have been celebrated or said. Like, just saying, I hate the Quran. You don't, I don't think the part that I'm Arab, not Iranian, I'm, I'm Iranian, not Arab, should have been stated because that's not a contradiction. We have, we have an Arab minority living in Iran, okay? And those Arab Iranians are Iranians. There's no contradiction between being Iranian and Arab, right? It's like saying, I mean, I'm, I'm Iranian, not Arab, makes as much sense as saying, I am, Ir- I am Iranian, not Turkish. We have a lot of Iranian Turks. Or saying, I'm, Kur- I'm Iranian, not Kurdish. We have il- a lot of Iranian Kurds. Or I'm I mean, Iranian, like, I'm, I'm black, Persian. but non-American. Like, these things yes. are not mutually exclusive. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So like, oh, yeah, exactly. That's a great example. So then I'm like, I'm not black, I'm American. One is an ethnicity, the other one is a nationality. You could have any ethnicity and be a citizen of Iran. So, yeah, yeah, I'm Iranian. Why do you make me recite the Quran? I think the only, the anti-Quran part was based, uh, based, but the Arab part is not based at all. (laughs) But the people are, so why are you making, people are cheering both though. But anyways, whether you have a problem with this or not, the, the the video is just for me to show you wh- how many people like how much applause a line like this get again by a by a population of people that a lot of them are wearing headscarves so don't judge people with their headscarf people who are wearing headscarves are cheering somebody saying my child hated the Quran just let Holy let cow. that sink in <laughs> right but um, I do want to highlight something here. Um, Pakistani Defense Force is saying, Armin, the Arabs forced Persians into Islam. No, they didn't. There some people who happen to be Arabs did that. If you want to complain about that, then you should be complaining to me about Iran- Iranians forced a lot of brutality upon Indians. Right? Do you want to hold me responsible for all the crimes that the Iranians committed in India? Wait, don't open that door because a lot of people will say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what what is that? Like, Soha is here. Isn't Soha here? Soha is Arabic. Soha is an atheist Arab right here. Look at, look at, at, good thing I found this comment. Look at this. This is Soha, who's Arab. Look at her comments, right? I can't even read this, (laughs) all right? And you're like, when you say Arabs, like, look at this. Armin, the Arabs forced Persians into Islam. Do you want to condemn Soha here, who is, like, more aggressive than me against Islam <laughs> for what some Arabs? Again, even, even the Arabs in that at that time who, like, invaded Iran, even most Arabs at that time were not involved. Like, this is, you know, Pakistani def- uh, Pakistani Defense Force has such a 
By the way, that's the name of the person, not the actual Pakistani defense force. Um, you're so tribal. Like, you want to hold an entirety of a group of people responsible for the crimes of a few people. Your tribalism is off the charts. Like, you are so dogmatically uh, collectivist in your mindset that I don't know if there's any cure for it. Um, yeah. There's that. But anyways, you highlighted a few other uh, points. Oh, did I? Let me pull them up. Oh, <laughs> um, this is just a nice comment from Numan saying, Armin and Susanna, you guys look cute today. Aww, thank you for the thank compliment. You. Oh, my God. What? Thank you, Jigar. I just got coffee delivered to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got excited. Um, this is quick, but I think this is something that we should uh, just talk about, clarify, because it came up. So Samuel Stinter is saying, I read the news that they sentenced 15,000 plus people to the death penalty. So let's just clarify quickly. What happened was that at the time, there were roughly 15,000 people that were detained. Right now, the number is closer to 17,000 people who have been arrested and detained. And a few weeks ago, the quote-unquote parliament of Iran, okay, the quote-unquote representative of the people, okay, not the case, um, basically... How many parliamentary members are there out of 270 out of 290? 90, yes. Yeah, of 290 MPs basically issued a statement or voted for the harshest penalties available to those arrested for protesting. And many protesters have been charged with waging war against God or um, what's the other one? Spreading corruption in the land. And these sentences have carry the harshest punishment of the death penalty. So these now 17,000 people, not all of them have been indicted yet, although thousands have been indicted. Not all of them have been sentenced yet, although there already are a number of prisoners that have been sentenced to death. So these, you know, at the time, 15,000, have they been formally sentenced? No. Were there open calls by the vast majority of the parliamentary members to execute them? Yes. So that's where the confusion comes in. Did I explain that correctly, Armin? Yeah, they would like the regime would not dare now like they used to back in the eighties. But executing fifteen thousand people is would be the they know that would be the end of them, right? If they if the Iranian regime comes out today and executes fifteen thousand people. Uh, that would be like, okay, they're just committing political suicide and literal suicide, actually, after that. Like, that would be the, the um, that would be the end of that. The regime would be done by within a week, right? So they would not dare. I, I, I'm not saying the execution rates are not high. The execution rates are high and they will be very high uh, in the coming uh, months, you know. So, but it wouldn't be 15,000, right? So this is just, a, it's called grandstanding. Right, like taking um, these are very the, the current parliament in Iran, which is called the Majlis. It's a lot more conservative than the previous ones. Like in, like more transparently conservative. They're all conservative, right? But they are responding to a base of people who voted them in, who are the more radical, Islamically radical part of the Iranian uh, Iranian people, 
And the, those parts of the Iranian people are very upset about these protests and are demanding, are asking why the government is not literally shooting them down and why are in they the being so in the streets? Like they, they're, the Iranian people who are pro-regime, they have a hashtag called Payanam Mashad, which, which means basically stop treating the, these protesters with glove kits. Like they're asking for the regime to be harsher. They're like so shocked. Like why is the regime not killing more people? Like please end the, end the protests, right? Uh, and these members of parliaments are trying to signal to the people who voted them in that we're pressuring the government to be harsher on the protesters, right? So they wanted to show that this parliament is with them because the parliament doesn't really care about much about the standing among all Iranians. It cares more about the standing among that minority of Iranians who are extremely hardline. So that's why they were maybe like taking such an aggressive. It's a it's a sense that they know that the regime would not take, but they're trying to signal to their base that we are trying to push them to be more aggressive. A lot of people would have a problem with you talking like this, Armin, because they would say that you're downplaying how high the risk actually is, because there are people that are facing the death penalty for this. My, what I'm saying does not contradict that. There, are, people are facing executions. Yes. The government is not going to execute 15,000 people. These I don't know. People are, would be, yes, be like, you're downplaying yeah, it but by the, saying that. No, but well, it's, it's a, okay. These two do not contradict each other. The, the fact that people are going to, many people are going to be executed is alarming and should be shouted off the rooftops, right? The fact that it's not going to be, but they're actually, what you're doing is downplaying it, right? Because you are going to be dismissed when you go tell the international community that fifteen thousand people are going to be executed, and when that not when and people are like, oh my god, that's a disaster. And if that and then four hundred people are executed or two hundred people are executed, people are like, oh okay, well it wasn't that bad because we were expecting fifteen thousand. Okay, it's not as bad as we thought. We could go home now, right? You should. I think be like, people oh got my- confused because there was a call for. Yes. 15,000 people to be executed or sentenced to death versus how many actually have been sentenced. That's where the confusion was coming in. And um, yeah, I saw a lot of people like really having a lot of rage at how the media was going about fact checking that scenario because the they were basically downplaying it saying like, oh, this isn't true. They're like, as if there's so, nothing to be concerned about. And there so are people- Okay, if you want to raise alarm about this, this is how you do it, okay? Even though the government is incapable of executing 15,000 people, the parliament that is supposed to represent the Iranian people has been calling for the execution, like as far as execution, punishing the prisoners, as far as executing 15,000 people. And, you know, So you could be like, look at how far away they're parliament which is supposed to be a representative of the of the people is from its people okay and also tell them if the government is not executing 15,000 people it's not because they don't want to it's because they can't right they definitely want to and they have before right they just they know that would be like it's not for the lack of um want right um, and the fact that the part, the part, the the parliament of the Iranian people is this is what they signal, and this is what they transparently show what their desires are. That is alarming. 
you know that this would be something that they would do if they could, given how transparently they're asking for it, right? So and that's how you make it. Right. So this is how you make it a big deal. But you don't tell people a lie because then then anything less than that will make everybody think like that's not, not a big deal is happening. Nothing is happening. So you would be effectively downplaying the situation if you're if you're saying 15,000 people are going to be executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there was just like a lot of confusion or incongruence between what was asked for which versus what was actually the sentence that came down. But yeah, there are multiple, multiple prisoners who've already been sentenced to death. Protesters, just for protesting. Just, yeah, just for showing up in the streets. And we have seen, okay, here's the thing. The government has published the video footage of the court hearings. And I don't know how to explain how it's an understatement to say that it was a kangaroo's court. It was a clown show. The, the way the level of unprofessionalism, the way the judge was constantly interrupting the protester and putting words in his mouth, anybody with any legal knowledge or any understanding of how proper court proceeding works was like ter- pulling their hair out. Even if you they- just watch like shows about lawyers on TV, you know that this yeah. is bullshit. <laughs> it was like, guys, it was such a, like in half an hour, they just, they give a death sentence. Like the guy came in with no legal, re- with no lawyer and no legal representation and got a death sentence within half an hour. And he was the only one who was defending himself. One and hearing. One hearing, one hearing in the course of half an hour, everything was decided. And the judge was constantly interrupting him and constantly putting words in his mouth. And the guy was so like timid and so like nervous. And he was like, didn't, was like in such a terrified position that was just accepting what the judge was saying. So the judge was like, you were doing this, weren't you? And he was like, oh, yeah, maybe. Yes, I was. Like, like, dude, they're, they're putting words in your mouth and you're repeating the judge and they're giving you a death sentence based on just the judge like leading you into admitting crimes. Like, and they proudly, and guys, this is not leaked video. This was published by the government. Like, they put it out there. Like, they're proud of it. <laughs> My God, it's so bad. I don't know. It's so ridiculous. Okay. It's like so cartoonish. Like if if someone wrote this in a story and told you it, you'd be like, "Oh, come on! Like it's just bullshit. That's not believable." Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I could like put the footage. Yeah, I, guys. The reason why I can't put the footage is because YouTube is very sensitive about forced confessions, right? And this is definitely a forced confession because I would wanted to show this video with you to you guys and go line by line and analyze it with you guys. But if you can look it up and watch it, it's horrible. Anyways, there are certain things that I can't even say right now that I wish I could share with you guys. But one day I, I know, I know we talk about a lot of stuff mm-hmm. behind the scenes that 
we just can't share with you guys. Yeah. Anyways, um, thank you guys for being here with us. Please like the video. We need you guys to like these videos. Uh, please hit the subscribe button. Please the bell notification. Leave a comment on all our videos. It really helps our channel grow. Subscribe to our newsletter. Guys, our newsletter has beautiful, blasphemous art of Hindu goddesses, uh, Muhammad, uh, Krishna, uh, Jesus, many other deities, ancient deities like Athena, all in gloriously sexy positions, doing all sorts of nutty things to each other, gods and goddesses going at it with each other. So if you want to see all of that, is that like our artists draw that? Um, it's extremely blasphemous and extremely sexy. And oh, people are saying already subscribe. Thank you. Um, Pakistani Defense Force is saying, love you, Armin and Susanna. Well, make sure if you love us, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. Okay. Thank you for that. And oh, yeah, we got wow, we got a super chat. Guys, you can support us by using super chats. Do you want to? Okay. Read this. Oh, it's to me. Uh, Charles uh, saying, oh, you go ahead. Charles gave us 100 Danish krona. Thank you very much, Charles. That's very generous. Um, hi, Armin. A suggestion. You previously mentioned wanting to do a video on the 1953 quote-unquote coup. How about doing that as a video review of Reza Pahlavi's astute remarks, which I had Suha send you on Messenger? I think he also sent that to me. Yeah, I can, if I, I'll try to. I need to make a lot of videos, but I will add that to my list. I, I do really it. want you to make a video about how you think that it's propaganda to say that the CIA okay. did a coup. I mean, what the CIA did was morally questionable. Yes. It technically, technically, not illegal. Be not illegal. Not illegal. And a coup needs to be illegal. Technically, it was Mossadegh who was doing a coup. And what the CIA helped the Shah do was an anti-coup measure. It wasn't a coup. It was defeating a coup. <laughs> so so le technically, legally, that's what happened. The, the Shah was in full legal right to do what he did. Um, take, based on Iran's constitution, removing the prime minister was within the Shah's rights. The United States helped him do what he was legally allowed to do. No, but Armin, so, we need you to do a full video on this. Don't explain everything yes, now. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, people are saying, please support the channel in any way you can. Yes, guys, you could also support the channel financially and non-financially, non-financially by liking the video, and financially by Patreon, link in the description, uh, PayPal. PayPal, PayPal, link in the description, or by becoming a YouTube member, like um, these, uh, Athan, Athanis, how do you say that? Athanasia, oh, Athanasia, right? And also, No Man is a member, Shriyash is a member, Suha is a member. Um, yeah, so yeah, was, no, man, uh, no Man is saying, I love that art. Yes, our blasphemous art. Check them out, they're for free. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter so you could get them. Anyway, guys, love you and thank you for your support. Bye. Mwah.